You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. I'm going to be iconic. Welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I'm Cliffy D. You can find me on X at Cliffy D. And I'm Jim Capper. You can also find me on X at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode of the podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where if you use the promo code Owls Flight Deck 10 at checkout, you can save 10% off your entire order. So head over to sportbuffshop.com, use the code, save 10%, buy the new currently available Grey Cup Championship merch, and support local. And the Elements Flight Deck is all over the World Wide Web and on social media. If you haven't already, make sure you check out our archives over at www.alouettesflightdeck.ca. Give the show a follow on X at alouettesfldeck. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash alouettesflightdeckpod. Check out our Instagram page at Alouette's Flight Deck. You can also find us on threads at Alouette's Flight Deck. Uh, if you haven't already, too, make sure you check out our live streams and all of our other goodies over on our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck. And last but certainly not least, if you want to represent this show, and we appreciate it if you do, make sure you head over to our merch store over at www.flightdeckgear.ca. Just as a little teaser, too, eh, Cliff? We're going to talk about the shop. We got a new If You Know You Know shirt coming out very, very soon. So stay tuned because it's a perfect homage to the uh, to the Grey Cup winning Montreal Alouettes. And also, by the way, too, we are also on Blue Sky. Just do a search for at Repact, at Cliffy D, at Alouettes FL Deck. We'll pop up. You can't miss us. I find that we're being more active on, on, on Blue Sky than we are on Threads. But still... That's fine. So, yeah. how do I start this off? Let me think for here for a second. Well, you kind of buried the lead in the in in the, in the uh, you talk about the blue sky and uh, and the and the merch shop. So you may as well just get out get out of the way right now. The Montreal Alouettes have won the Grey Cup, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I, I was going to start off actually by going. We. The ones. Yes. We, the ones. O-U-I, the ones. We are the Um, 1%. Alouette's Nation is the 1%. Because nobody believed in this Alouette's team from day one of this season. And even further back, go back to February. With the tumultuous situation with ownership, with free agency basically being handcuffed, this team being handcuffed, being able to do any moves, people were jumping off the ship like rats off, jumping off the Titanic. Uh, it was, it, it was not pretty in February to say the least. We'll we'll delve into more of this mm-hmm. during our, our our year in review episode. But fast forward to this past Sunday, despite the fact that the Alouettes simply manhandled the sixteen and two Toronto Argonauts in the Eastern Final to get to this Grey Cup game, 
It was like, okay, great. You made the Grey Cup. That's very cool. You should be very proud of yourselves. But there's no way in hell you're going to beat Winnipeg. They're 14-4. and four. They kicked your ass twice earlier this year. Zach Laros, Brady Oliveira. I, These are I our, our world. Narrative. I, I hated that narrative. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. oh. Again, so, so many reasons why. And once again, a lot of the experts, even though they were starting to give Montreal a little bit more respect, still said, hey, it's great that you made it this far, but let's temper expectations. This is Winnipeg's Cup. The dynasty is going to be back on. Blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Once again, the Alouettes were having none of that. They did not get the memo that they were supposed to suck. They did not get the memo that they were supposed to roll over and die for Winnipeg. Instead, they went into Tim Hortons Field this past Sunday, and they played what I – I know it's still early because it's still new to us. It's still kind of raw. But I think you give this another year or two, maybe another five years, I think we're going to look back on this particular Grey Cup game – Winnipeg versus Montreal as I'll, I'll go so far as to say a top five great cup game. Like you talk about instant classic. Oh, yeah, for sure. This game was an instant classic start to finish. It was just an incredible battle. Like just, you know, I, I won't say David versus Goliath. Cause it wasn't about that. Like these two teams, and it's easier like hindsight's being 2020, but these teams were very evenly matched for the most part. And they, they were. Neither, oh, by the way, neither this, team. This, this, I was like, this, this just in. I didn't even have. You're talking about how nobody got any memo. I just got the memo here. It's in my hand. I know you can't see it, but see, see the memo. This is the I one that the went memo. to Cody Fajardo, and you know what it said? It, actually, it's the one from Cody Fajardo. You know what it says? Mm. It says, "Fuck you." Just watch. <laughs> Uh, well, and, and we'll get to that in a moment, folks, because yeah. that I had to break that in first. I had to break that in because that was epic. We, we're jumping yeah, all over I, the place. I don't care. We were able to. So we're. It, it, I, I I I tell you what. I mean this this whole Grey Cup week, by and large, has been incredibly memorable for us at the flight deck, and oh, yeah. not just because the Alouettes won the Grey Cup. That that was just the icing on the cake. That was just the cherry on top. Whatever. It, adjective or idiom you want to use that was it like th- this was a great cup to remember for so many reasons for us it was a and, new medium a new medium and the stuff that was did done and applaud to you for uh you and Manon for for taking the, the mantle for uh, the first couple of days and uh, you know it, it's uh, i'm hoping it speaks for itself 20 I, i'm gonna say this and then we'll, we'll go talk more about the game too and just experience itself but um, 20 plus episodes over on our YouTube page, uh, 20 plus interviews on our YouTube page mm. alone. Plus the two, plus the two lives that we did this past week. Yeah. Um, and, and listen, don't sell yourself short either, Tim. Like you did a great job behind the scenes producing these and making sure that they got out and make sure everybody was able to download them and find them. And that it, listen, you, this was a team effort. There, let's make no mm-hmm. mistake. This Alouette's flight deck, media blitz does not happen just with one person it's it, it really does take a village to to make this happen and we were so thrilled and honored to have the opportunity to provide that content for you the listeners or the, you the youtube viewers and for everyone that checked it out thank you so much it, it it meant the world and 
we are beyond grateful to have had the opportunity to go and be a part of the media days, to go to the practices every day and speak with the players afterwards and coaches sitting in on their uh, press conferences after, after each practice was such a treat. I mean, it was really, truly an amazing experience. And I hope every podcaster, you know, that puts in the time does the work and wants to prove themselves. I hope they'll get this opportunity as well. And I think that's really what it came down to is you got to do the work. And I was willing, I was willing to roll up my sleeves and get the work done. And maybe it's truly because simply only because the Alouettes were in the great cup that they gave us this opportunity, but we took it, we ran with it. And I'm, I'm so incredibly thankful and grateful to have that opportunity. And I'm extremely proud of the work we did. It was it was pretty awesome. There, there's no question oh, yeah. about it. I think that it really it did. It really did make this great cup experience that much sweeter. I mean, win or lose, whatever happened on the field was going to happen on the field this past Sunday, but the, the build up to it was nothing short of incredible. The opportunity to sit and talk with players after their practice and just get to know them a little bit and get, you know, guys that we had on the show and even guys that we haven't had on the show. It was really interesting to be able to sit and talk with them about their great cup experience thus far what they thought about their season, you know, all, all these things. And the guys that we haven't had on the show, we'll, we're going to get them on the show and get, get up, give, them, give them a chance to get, really tell their story properly mm-hmm. in the next little while. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, what, what a treat from going to media day this past Wednesday to the practices and everything in between. What an experience, what, what, what an experience. And I am beyond grateful to the Canadian Football League and to the Montreal Alouettes for providing us with that opportunity. If you haven't checked it out, you can go over to our YouTube page. We do have a full playlist, which does include all the all the twenty plus interviews and the two lives that we did. Um, it you know for for new media like we are, you know for 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 the new type of again, uh, you know it, it's not legacy media. We're new media. Uh, to again, I, I think you know above and beyond. You know we're not a TSN, we're not a we're not an RDS, we're not. You know it's we are essentially a uh, a three person we were a three person crew this week, um, and just just getting it done. And I think one of the funniest things I because this is part of the experience itself. It was like. <laughs> your reaction because i you know we i get there on i get there on friday and we talk about i mean i asked you about about other interviews and you, and you go did you bring your uh, yeah you know i go yeah you bring your laptop of course i brought my laptop you go i thought you weren't gonna bring your laptop and i'm like i know what i gotta do i know <laughs> i know what i gotta do we gotta uh, we gotta complete it we gotta complete the race exactly yeah, so, so- and and that's it. That's the thing. It, 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 I mean, for it's funny. Grey Cup is a lot of things for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people go strictly for the parties, and that's great. If you're if that's what you're into, that's awesome. A lot of people go there to you know will only go if their team's in the Grey Cup, win or and you know to see them win or lose. That's fine too. Uh, a lot of the media types that we know and we follow and that follow us. To them, this is work. This is a job. Like it's not party time for them, and that's fine as well. And for for me, the interesting part was straddling that line between okay, yeah, you want to go, you want to check out the parties and have fun, and you meet your friends, mm-hmm. and it's really great. And I love that part of Great Cup. But working things from the media side of things was a and lot keep, of fun in a different way, and keeping it very professional because we we you know we know some of the players on the team. 
We, uh, and we feel that that's a plus for us because we're able to talk to them. And usually, you know, we'd be able to uh, get more, more, I don't want to say tidbits, but usually off the record type of stuff than, than I guess somebody else normally would. But mm-hmm. it's like walking that fine line too between handshake and bro hug. And you know what I'm talking yeah. about. If you, yeah. you got to keep, you got to keep it a certain way, you know, to, to stay, to stay within that line of being media. And that's, I think we did well. I mean, to me, I know we'll talk about more about the experience because you guys were there for a little bit longer, but about the festival and stuff like that. But for me, the the thing that really stands out to me, Cliff, is the story that you told me about the one of the very few first few days that you were there for post game after the practice, and in a surprise to you, you were approached by the league to do post practice interviews, and that's where it started. And yep. I loved it. I loved hearing that. So yeah, yeah, it's it it's incredible. Like, they, to me, that that just tells me, okay, you're being recognized. Like the, they they see the podcast, they know it's a thing, and they they treat it just as seriously as they would a TSN or RDS or National Post or any of these other like co- like we call them legacy media outlets. But I mean, for lack of a better term, that's that's what we'll go with. Like you know, a lot of people still don't see a podcast necessarily as media worthy so and i know this like i i i'm not blind to that fact that the you know a lot of people are like well any tom dick and harry can start a podcast great let them I, i'm sure there's lots of people that would love to start a alouette's podcast and you know if you're lucky maybe you get a hundred viewers uh you know for your shows and uh and such but like we are very cognizant of the fact that we've put in eight plus years in doing this podcast we've talked to a lot of players a lot of coaches we've even talked to an alouette's owner We've talked to a lot of people throughout the league and, you know, we, we put in a pretty decent body of work. So, you know, we're not a fly by night operation. And I think the league re- recognizes that and they were willing to help us out any way that they could. And they made it very clear, like, okay, whoever you want to talk to, let us know. We'll make it happen, which was mind blowing uh, to me. Like, okay, like <laughs> this is, a, this was a privilege I figured was reserved for, as I said, the legacy media types. And it was just almost like, just shut your mouth and be glad to be there kind of thing. And that's kind of how I was taking it. But when they come up when the league of the league's media, people come up to you and ask, who do you want to talk to? I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Let me talk to so-and-so. Let me talk to so-and-so. And, you know, in, in conjunction with the Alouette's media department as well, who've always been good to us, you know, they're, they've always been very good when it comes to letting us book guests on the show. And again, we are truly, truly grateful for that. Uh, but just to have the league's backing on this as well is just to me so huge. And, you know, I, I sincerely hope other podcasts take it upon themselves to, you know, if, if they want to present themselves as a serious product and not just some fanboy fangirl experience, which again, it, some, some podcasts actually work better that way. And if that's, that's your thing, more power to you. But we wanted to show that we were serious about this. We're not just, yes, we're, we're here because the Alouettes are in the great cup, but at the same time, we want to give them the proper coverage that they deserve. And they allowed us to do that. And for that, we are extremely grateful, as I said, not just to the league, but also to the Alouettes media department themselves. They, they, they were just, everybody was great across the board, super professional and just made the, made the experience that much better for, for us. Exactly. And, uh, uh, obviously, there were those uh, those hits that we did during the week. Um, I, I did a couple 
prior to leaving. I know that you did one which a lot of people don't know about is that you you, had, you did a hit with with another Winnipeg supporter on a, a major Toronto uh, radio station. Um, we're gonna, we will be putting that out onto uh, onto our socials very soon, so you will be able to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was prompted by by the league, by the league. So yep. I I can't you know what I can't fault them, buddy. I mean, as I said, it's a, I'm I was stoked. Um, you know, uh, we were get, based on the. Uh, color of our press pass, we took advantage of it very, uh, uh, pretty, pretty well. So, mm-hmm. no, it was just a great experience. As I said, Grey Cup is a lot of things for a lot of people, but for us, we really did want to conquer the media side of things as well as you know the party aspect of things because both are important for the you know for the Grey Cup experience as far as I'm concerned. And again, I, I'm just thankful that we were able to do the media stuff we were able to do and. You know, it's it was really interesting straddling that line a little bit between like, you know, wanting to check out the parties and that aspect of things. And then the media stuff, which is some would consider work and maybe too much work for, you know, this is event supposed to be just a big old party. And, you know, I, you I think we found experience a, with that and you've less, less experience to that than I do, you know, because but so it's, it was really something very new for you. Go, you know what I mean? So, you know, especially with your team being in it. Our team being in it, you know what I mean. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, it was yeah. it, no. The, without question, this was such tremendous great cup. Just that alone, just having that access alone is immeasurable. And being able to go to the the CFL awards as well and checking that out, that was a a great experience as well. I mean, even though Marc Antoine de Croix was the only Alouette that was nominated for award, and unfortunately he lost quite handily to Brady Oliveira. Uh, you know, it was still great to go to Niagara Falls. And see- who, who, who got the chip? Who got the chip? Who's well, that's the it. Ring? See that. And I, I guess that's a pretty good consolation prize for Marc Antoine. If, uh, if you truly wanted the most outstanding Canadian award, I'm hoping he was able to console himself with the fact that, a couple of days later, he was going to go and go ahead and win the Grey Cup. So, exactly. Here's hoping. Yeah. So again, w- thank you CFL for giving us the opportunity. Uh, I hope it shows to you that uh, our organization uh, can be uh, called upon, what, no matter what it may be, for for future reference. So, and that that, that goes that goes to the Owls too, obviously. So I hope we can hope we did prove ourselves, uh, and, and, you know, especially with our first year two of lives. Who would have thought, dude? First year of lives, and all this happens. Go to the Great Cup, and da 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 da. Let, let's pivot to let's pivot to uh, let's pivot to the festivities there. In uh, you, you kind of talked about one with the um, with the player awards. Um, what were some? You, I know you got to experience two more days of them than I did because I only came in on Friday. But uh, what were some of the other things that you were able to experience prior to me coming in on Friday, and, and then us? Uh, going ham, as they say, going ham in the hammer. <laughs> oh, I never thought I did that. That was uh, totally. Uh. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I mean, not much really, because realistically, like the first part of the week strictly seems to be more media-based stuff. Because people don't really start rolling into Grey Cup till usually about Thursday, Friday. But there are some diehards that will get in on the Wednesday, and there was a meet and greet at one of the. Uh, one of the pubs in Hamilton that, uh, uh, you know, 
open things up for fans to to go and check out and once again kind of feels like a like a big family reunion and it was it was actually kind of funny too because uh dave naylor and uh a lot of the media people also had a little soiree similar to that like a sort of meet greet as well so i was managed to go to both so it was kind of neat because you get the media aspect of things as far as you know you you sit and talk shop with other media types and uh you know it's that too is in a, in a sense a, a family reunion of sorts, which is really cool to be a part of. And then we wander over to the uh, the fan meet and greet. Same idea, it's just that now it's CFL fans once again from all over. And once again, a lot of these people you haven't seen since Grey Cup. A lot of these people you haven't seen since the last time you went to a road game. If you did, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah, another opportunity to rub elbows and uh, you know have an adult beverage or two and just you know get caught up on things and. It was interesting because a lot of fans would come up like, oh, my God, we're so happy for you. The Alouettes are in the Grey Cup. We're cheering for them. And it was it was crazy to know, like, of all the CFL teams, it seems like everybody but Winnipeg was cheering for the Alouettes. And even more mind-blowing, when you've got, like, hardcore Ryder fans who have been with that team all their lives practically, and no doubt will never, ever forget 2009-2010, they're cheering for the Alouettes. They're cheering for Cody Fajardo. They're cheering for Jason Moss. And they want to, and maybe it's just simply because the hatred between Saskatchewan and Winnipeg runs so deep that it basically comes down to the enemy of my friend or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that's, yeah, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's how it goes. That's it. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, we don't really like you, but we like you more than Winnipeg. So we're cheering for you, but <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Well, We'll take it. And yeah, every fan base, even like those Toronto fans, a, a lot of them were coming up. It's like, listen, it sucks. You know, we we still think we should have been in this game, but you were the better team. So we're going to put our support behind you. Like, that's incredible. And Hamilton too. Montreal beat them in the Eastern semifinal. Hamilton was supposed to host the, host the great, well, they're hosting the great cup. The team should have been in there. They're supporting the Alouettes. Like it just, it was incredible to see the amount of support. Like if, if you know, any Alouettes fans that were there, they were very well taken care of. There was a lot of love, and even Winnipeg fans. So they're kind of like, well, we hope you do well, but you'll understand if, we, you know, of course, totally understand. I mean that that's the thing. You know, there was there was no hatred, there was no animosity or anything. That it was just like. Well, may the best team win, you know, or I just hope both teams have fun, you know, that sort of sentiment and just that kind of little good natured ribbing, things like that. Like, you know, and that's great. And to me, that's what makes Great Cup so special as well, is that regardless of who you're cheering for in the game, the idea is that there's nothing so bitter, no, so angry that, you, you know, you're, you're just you, you wish the other team would die or something like that is there's none of that. It's really just you want to see a good football game. You want to see your team win, obviously, but you're not going to be too sad if the other team loses because you've got friends on, you know, across the league and you just want everybody to enjoy the game no matter what. And win or lose, at least you can go to the bar afterwards, have a couple of drinks and salute your team win or lose. And I think that's part of what makes great cup so special as well is that there is that sentiment that even if my team's not in it, I'm still here to have a good time. I'm still here to have fun. I'm still here to watch a great football game you can't ask for more than that. And I think that's what makes the fan experience at Grey Cup so special is that everybody's involved, regardless of your colors, regardless of your affiliation, you know, regardless of where you come from, even like you're just there to enjoy a great game, a great atmosphere. 
No matter the language you speak. No matter the language you speak. Absolutely. French, English, indigenous, you name it. And, and Grey Cup is just – if you haven't experienced Grey Cup yet, folks, you have to do it. You, you 100% – you just have to go once and you're ready to go back again. And again, and you can even and just again. go That's... in on, or you can just go in like I did. Just go in on the Friday because you'll be able, you'll still be able to, to experience everything. You really for the most will. part, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, when, yeah. When it comes to the parties and things like that, yes, absolutely, you can. Now, did you attend the uh, the commissioner's uh, fan uh, uh, state, state of the league? Of league? No, because it was during fans? it was during one of the Alouettes practices. So I... Well, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and that whole thing with, with with Ambrosi doing it on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, whenever it was, like a couple of days that, prior to that made no sense whatsoever. I remember yeah, that watching was the, it on on the stream. So, yeah, that was the media state of the league, yeah. which yeah, done early for reasons. <laughs> Not sure what they are, but they decided to do that early, and also too, that was also done the day of the uh, coaches' uh, press conference. And I believe uh, the CFLPA also had a state of the state of the league or state of the union address, I guess you would call it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, they, they jammed a lot in that media Tuesday, and no, I wasn't there for that. But uh, they, it, it's, yeah, they really did. And obviously, the contradic- contradic- contradictory stories between what the CFL says and what the CFLPA says. But that's 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 what it is. That's what it is. I mean, it's it's union versus the, versus the uh, versus the man. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. And Randy Rosie, no doubt, is going to go up there, and you know, more so with I think the media than with the fans is he's going to get grilled more for certain things. And and it wasn't streamed. They didn't stream <clears throat> the fan one. Is that the first time in years? They didn't. I don't think so. I remember it being on the uh, on the docket. At least it's not available online. I remember the media one was. Okay. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong because I was looking for, for it on their on their page there. But if, if I'm wrong, somebody tell somebody let me know. Send, send me a, send me a, uh, you know, at me. Yeah. I don't remember it being because if it did that, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious to watch it. Um I mean it's usually Randy it's usually Randy Ambrosi answering the same four questions over and over again anyways. So I mean I, No, and we never got that I, one I, question I, that we wanted answered about the you know about the new era contract. We never got an answer. Never did, but I guess we'll find out, or we'll reach out. Maybe we'll reach out to see if Naylor knows, or see if somebody else. Maybe, you know, uh, Solomon Aluminium. Aluminium. We'll reach out to him. We we met him. We did. I met him for the first time. So uh, uh, let's before we talk about some of the things we did as media. Give me give me a highlight for you for the festival, because I will admit, I've not been to very many, very many Grey Cups. The last one for me was, was Ottawa. And I wasn't there. I was there for the day of the game. Um, so I didn't get to partake in any, any of the, the festival. Um, the, people were saying that this is probably one of the best festivals ever put on. Uh, just location and what it was done and how it was done. I mean, to me, having everything over at the conference center or uh, for in Hamilton was was top notch. Mm-hmm. Really, really was. I mean, and they even had other other sections too. Uh, oh. Something was at the Armory. I think they had a lot of the stuff from the CFL Hall of Fame there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the festival, everything set up for all the team parties or, or the team rooms or whatever you want to call them, was top notch. 
It really was. I, we, we visited a few of the rooms, mm -hmm. uh, the parties, and it, and it seemed to be fantastic. You know, <coughs> the mixture of the Eastern of the Eastern block of teams yeah. set something up basically in one, one section. And then you had the bigger ones, like, uh, uh except for uh, the schooners, you know, schooners room, uh, tiger town, uh, Edmonton for the one for Edmonton, et cetera. So was there anyone that stood out to you specifically? <laughs> uh, no, for the most part, it was everything. You're right. Having everything in one spot definitely makes things a lot easier. I mean, there's Lord knows there's tons of space. So, I mean, like some of the bigger ones, like Stamps House, the Schooners Party, uh, BC Lions Den, like, yeah, those are definitely well attended. Uh, the Eastern teams don't really get a whole lot of love at Grey Cup but with, when it comes to their own rooms, with the exception of Tiger Town, because obviously Hamilton hosting the Grey Cup, then, yeah, they're going to get a little bit of priority. Uh, Atlantic. Yeah. But that room is huge. That was, I was like, that room is huge. That, that shows how, how much of a staple. They may not have a team. Yet, but that just shows how much of us, how much they love coming, and how much of a, uh, of a, a talk. You know, they they become a talking point every year, where mm. they they're the one of the must places you have to go because that room was huge for it, them. I, it was a lot. You know, I was able to walk around a lot more than I was over the the what was essentially the owls room temporarily over in tiger town but still uh, its own unique experience it is and it again i would uh, even tell people like you if you're going to go to a great cup festival you have to go to the atlantic schooners kitchen party because it's it's insane like i mean they they always have great acts they uh, they do all sorts of crazy events they sell atlantic schooners gear which is hilarious to me oh they really love pushing in. that they're screeching into is it screeching in yeah, you can you could get screeched in if you wanted to, yeah. and uh, uh, lobster rolls, of course, are the the big thing. Like it used to be, the big thing for with them was the lobster rolls and the Alexander Keiths, which you can only get or or for the longest time you could only get in the Maritimes, but now you can pretty much find it anywhere. But what's really weird, they didn't have Keiths for sale at, uh, at 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 the Atlantic Schooners room, which was kind of bizarre because that's kind of the whole thing is like you know to, to really help promote the culture, if you will, of Atlantic Canada. And yeah, I guess lobster rolls go hand in hand with the schooners party. But to me, so so was the Alexander Keefs. Like to me, that kind of makes the whole experience. And listen, it's not like I'm a huge fan of Keefs to start with, but at the same time, it's just part of that consistency, I guess, if you will, that would have made this more ideal. But I think also too, all of the rooms what had the, the same sponsors have balked at it though. Is that, is well, that what a possibility? What I'm thinking though is regardless of the room that you went into, the beer selections were pretty well the same. So I think it may just have come down to either it's a sponsor thing or may have been contractually obligated by, I'm going to say Molson Coors because it was like Molson Canadian Coors Light. Those beers were yeah. on sale. And I think Keefe's is owned by Labatt, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe they may have put the kibosh on having Keefe's in for that reason. So again, I'm sure there's people that are much more intelligent than I that can answer that question much better. And you know, it, it, I mean, again, it doesn't ruin the experience per se. I still would tell everybody that you do definitely have to check out the Atlantic Schooners room when you do go to Grey Cup because it's always a lot of fun. Is and you're you're gonna find everybody in there too. Like a lot of fans will congregate there, meet up there, and just take in all the festivities and and such in that particular room, which is awesome. And just the fact that you can buy like lobster swag and. Uh, Atlantic Schooner jerseys. They actually print out a bunch of Atlantic Schooner jerseys for sale. Oh, they really love, and they really love pushing that narrative that they're still undefeated. 
I prefer to think of them as winless. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're undefeated, but you haven't played anyone. You haven't won anything either. So, I mean, you can go one of two ways with that, I suppose. And I, but again, I, I still help, but I, I can't help but chuckle because that is something that they really hammer the point home is that they're still undefeated. I'm like, yeah, because you haven't played anyone yet. So, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, um, I mean, that that's pretty yeah. memorable. I, I guess one of the more memorable moments was going into Stamps House, uh, seeing our man Nick Lewis there. Uh, you know, always always great to see Thick Nick. I mean, he's he's, he's always a character. And Grey Cup, he loves Grey Cup. So I mean, like, you know, I, I think in a perfect world he would have loved him coaching at Grey Cup with the Stampeders. But if you're not coaching, then that just frees you up to have more have more fun. So he was at he was there, and you know, so great to see him as well. Uh, also funny, the Philpot family was in Stamps House, including Jalen Philpot, who does play yeah. for the Stampeders. It was kind of funny because Manel actually went up to him and was like, if you're not Jalen's brother, or no, if if you're not Tyson's brother, you better be in bed. I <laughs> <laughs> laughed because, I, I swear to God, you, if you didn't know, you, you could have, well, again, being twins, obviously, like, but these guys are truly identical twins. Like, they look so similar. You... I think it's just the, their hair. The yeah, slight difference in the haircut. The slight difference in the haircut, but the voice is the same. The laugh is the same. The, like if you didn't know better, you'd swear it was Tyson there. But no, it's def- it was definitely Jalen, and you know he's doing well with his rehab and all that. He's hoping to get back on the field in the next two months to get back to getting ready for the next season. But you know, definitely nice to see him. Nice to see his family as well. And it was kind of funny because it's like. Uh, I, I even said to Jalen, like, you're going to be wearing your brother's jersey on Sunday. He's like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I, I said I would, and I'm going to do it. So that's awesome. And sure enough, Great Cup Sunday, we did end up seeing the entire Phil Pot family again. And yes, Jalen was wearing his brother's jersey. So that's that's a very nice touch. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, I said it was really just one day for me with the with the festivals and stuff like that. I, I was uh, the CFL fans fight can't. Uh, sorry, the CFL PA event was very cool. The first night, um, the uh, just the turnout alone. Uh, which really made me feel really good for the uh, CFL fans fight cancer event. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just just you know being out to to raise the you know raise awareness and raise the money for that type of thing. Uh, Chris Agar, our friend, uh, getting his hair cut and, and <laughs> you know making money for that. I mean, eight years in the making. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a lot of hair. Um, and, and what's you know, what's really uh, awesome? What's really awesome too is. Uh, they had a goal in mind because last year in Saskatchewan, they raised over $24,000 and that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. But they pretty much said, Hamilton, we want you to beat that record. We want you to not just beat it, but crush it. They and they did. It, they? Oh, yeah. and how, like, um, I think it's still not 30, still, 30, 36, uh, very close to $40,000, believe it or not. When it's all said and done. Wow. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. That is so amazing. Like, there's a lot of people that were doing these sort of satellite, uh, you know, events like Chris was doing, like to to raise money beforehand. And by the time they got to by the time they got to Hamilton, they'd all like, these other fans had already raised about twenty four thousand, which is what Saskatchewan cleared last year. So right off the hop, like anything after anything that was going to be made after that was was gravy. So 
yeah, the, the event was very well attended. I mean, just like, <laughs> like shoulder to shoulder, you were pretty much shoulder oh, to shoulder yeah. with fans in that in great, the restaurant great venue, there. Though. Great venue. Yeah. The end zone sports bar in, in Hamilton is definitely amazing. I mean, a great place to watch uh, any sporting events, but the way they had the, the setup done was just absolutely outstanding. As I said, great attendance. And yeah, like just when it came to like the silent auctions, uh, 50 50 draws you name it uh, like i said chris got his head shaved so you knew money was going towards that uh lots of other fans too were finding other ways to donate funds uh mm-hmm. I, I think the uh, uh the, the cfl fans fight cancer also had a fantasy league going so the winner of that was going to donate his portion to to the to the cause so that's yeah. even more but like when it was all said and done as i said it was close to forty thousand dollars were raised for That's a amazing. local for a local ca- cancer center, which is just phenomenal, it, it does my heart yeah. so good. I that's that's the thing with, with doing media this year, like because the Alwets had their walkthrough kind of at the same time, like we weren't able to attend the entire thing, but we still went for a little bit, and it was such a great turnout. And just to hear those final numbers is it, it means so much because like, whirlwind on Saturday, it really was. I mean, we just it, well, it's been a world it's been a whirlwind for like from the moment I got there on Wednesday. And we just hit the ground running and just didn't mm-hmm. stop. Didn't stop at all. That's, that's, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, because yeah, we did. Yeah, we did that. We did the uh, walkthrough. Uh, we did, uh, as you said, we went over to the CFL Fans Fight Cancer event. Uh, we rushed over to uh, to the convention center for the over to the BC Lions Den to do our hit over uh, with Reed over on the uh, on the Mark Cast. Yeah, shout out to Reed. He did a phenomenal job with that. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. And I, for me, I'm just trying to think of everything. I, I loved everything I did. There really wasn't one thing. I mean, it, I'm trying to think one of the one, the one that stood out the most for me. I mean, I probably say, I don't know if it necessarily was the Owls event, but I, I think for me, and maybe it's because we are part of Alowitz Nation, is that when we were over Tiger Town, or what was, I guess we could call it the Nest at the time, you know, Summarily, what it's called the what would have been called the nest. Just knowing that people that we know within the organization came over and made sure they stopped by and said hi. Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the things that that really I think really stood out to me. Um, you know. Nope. So it's yeah because we we've been we've been with this team for forever. I mean we, we've been supporters of this team for years upon years upon years, but. For us to do things now in a, a media capacity, like we're, we're we've been trying very hard to get away from the whole fan aspect of things, quote unquote. Not that it's a bad thing, but we want to be taken seriously as a media outlet. And I feel now we have been like this week really was an eye opening event for me. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume it's the same for you. Just when people from the organization are coming up to you and saying, "Hey, great job! You guys are killing it out there. Keep up the good work," like that. That's huge. When, when other media outlets are saying the same thing, like they're coming up to me and saying, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing on the flight deck. Keep up the good work." Like that—that that means a lot. That—that that really, like it—it it, it really does mean a lot to to me. I, I know it means a lot to you as well. I mean, just being validated by everyone that's associated with it. Because we started the podcast and we didn't know how far we could take this. We didn't know how what we could do with it, but we wanted to go as far as we could with it. And we're just longer than others, but still we got it there. Year one, year one live streaming, man. For example, <laughs> I mean, like, listen, we, we've changed, we've grown, we've evolved. I think like Pokemons we've evolved, 
but oh, dear God, I don't want to catch them all. Uh... <laughs> but but yeah, no, it, it it really meant a lot for the org- for the LOS organization themselves, or for their people to come up to us and say, "Listen, you guys are doing a great job. We're 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 proud of you. Even like we're we see the work that you're doing, and it's great stuff. Like whatever you're doing, keep doing it." And that really does mean a lot to both of us. It's yeah. it's. Per- it's really incredible. I, I was going to say now, you know, obviously everything we tried, everything wasn't necessarily always glowing. There was some, some, some sort of hitches in a way I felt with the festival stuff there, Cliff. Um, yes, we were lucky enough to have the, uh, the, the passes, by the way, which I heard, I, I just heard this recently, supposedly that they, I think Reed was mentioning this on his follow-up today on the Mark cast. Um, that the passes actually to get in kind of stopped at a certain time. And I don't know if I understood what he said correctly, but there were some, there were some issues themselves when it came to the passes, because if you didn't have a pass, a festival pass, you kind of paid out of the nose to, to get into this, get into the place just for an X amount of hours though. I mean, did you, did you hear anybody else com- complain about that? Or was the, the most of the people that you, uh, that you knew had the festival pass? I mean, lots of, well, I mean, festival passes weren't available necessarily for fans, so, so to speak. I mean, it was, the passes were meant for, for media or working people that were going to be working for the festival and that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we were fortunate because we are media that we were able to get in and, have access to these parties and things like that. And it wasn't simply a matter of, okay, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to pay for this. Like, no, we were there to cover the events. Like we were there as part of the great cup experience, like to cover everything. And that includes what the fans are doing. So that, that's why we wanted to attend the festival as well. We want to have access to the festival to be in order to be able to see what everybody else is doing and talk about it, which is what we're doing right now. So I mean, I, I don't think fa- I think fans that are just there to go and get their party on. I mean, it seems it does seem a little weird to have to pay to access a, a festival and then pay more for your drinks and as such. But I think it'd be even weirder if it was just because in the past, what they've done is like each each party was had their own admission fee, which yeah. to me, I didn't like. I didn't like the idea, especially too, if you have like. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think doing this actually works out a lot better because yeah you're paying x number of dollars per day and that's the thing it's a per day thing or you could buy a three-day festival pass you know obviously it would save you more money if you're doing that like if you're going to be there the whole you know all three days then it obviously makes sense to buy the three-day pass but at least this way you have unlimited access to whatever room you want so it's not like you're going you know your friends are in uh riderville for example and you're over at stamps house then like okay now i gotta pay an admission for this i gotta get a wristband for that and this and that like it turns the whole big yeah. bugaboo to me, I just think it's better. Yeah, just pay one price and you have access to everything and just about everything with the exception of Spirit of Edmonton, which is a big enough or event that it requires its own, you know, party headquarters, if you will. Everything else that you could want, though, was there. So, I mean, if you want to go and you want to get your drink on and see your friends and all that stuff, maybe you can't agree on which party you want to go to per se, but at least you have the option. Okay, I can go to this one. I can go to that one. I can go to, you know, you can, or you go to all of them, but you, you've got the access. You paid your 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 festival price then you've got access to all the parties so uh, and i didn't get to i I didn't go to riderville this time around i gotta get to riderville at least once so uh you know it's funny i didn't make it to riderville either uh in fact in fact i think uh well one well 
the Thursday night we we went to Spirit of Edmonton because that is essentially the thing to do. Like you're either going to the CFL Awards or to Spirit of Edmonton. I ended up doing both. <laughs> so that is like sort of right. the for a lot of people that is also to the unofficial kickoff to Grey Cup weekend is Thursday night at Spirit of Edmonton. So always great. Uh, shout out to Jerry and his crew. Uh, we, we got to meet them when we went to Edmonton earlier this year and they put on a fantastic, like we were only there the one day Thursday, but it was absolutely fantastic. It was just well, well run, well organized, uh, no sluice juice, but uh, they, they saved that for the breakfast on Saturday, but uh, it was still great to see Jerry again. And uh, you know, once again, spirit of Edmonton is definitely a must do. I mean, if you just decide that's all you want to do for great cup, there's no problem with that either. You're going to be entertained. Yeah, not at all. You, you, you got your, you, you can get your drink on, you can get your dance on. The, the bands that play are fantastic. They do a great job over at Spirit. So by all means, add that to your great cup list if you haven't already. I think for me, one of the things that really stood out the most, and I think you know, I wasn't able to choose when it came to the festival stuff is um, what stood out to me, but is the, um, the uh, the media suite over the hotel, the media hotel. Mm-hmm. Great being able to catch up with a lot of people that I only knew via face or by name or by voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put a you know put the voice to the face, so to speak, and and actually get to to you know meet some other uh, the other uh, other media members from across uh, across the country. Um, but most of all, because it's really my not necessarily because it was my first time. But was because of just what was done uh, was the uh, the FCF uh, FRC on the, sorry FRC uh, and on Sunday and just being there to take part in what is and it's not what is essentially. It's what is an extension of the inauguration of people into the CF, the media wing of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And it was very special just hearing the stories, the people, and just to be there this year for the people that they inducted. Um, the first woman, Chris Schultz, long and a long time C- CFL uh, TSN producer. Mm-hmm. Just, I think that's probably what's going to resonate the most to me. We may have not not known many of the faces that were there, or at least at the table that we were sitting at, because there were a lot of TSN representatives there uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday. But I think for me, that's probably the thing I'm going to I'm going to remember the most. I really am because it was just, uh, it was it was fun. It was emotional. It was it was just. Everything rolled up in one, you know, I can only imagine what, what it's like going to the, you know, going to the, to the, uh, the hall of fame induction in when they have it during the season for the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this, this was just, it's something that I, that I came, came away with making a very big impression on me. Yeah, it was pretty special. Uh, this year's, uh, inductees into the Canadian football hall of fame media wing were Vicky Hall, uh, who is, as you said, the first woman to be inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame's media wing. Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, she's she's done so much great work over the years, uh, mostly out so in Calgary. She's the first member, first woman in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. I Tec- am technically. 
I, I will have to check back with you on that one. I I'm think not... that's what they were saying. That's what they were. That's what they were saying. They never said she was the first person in the media wing. I was under the impression she was the first woman in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Anyways, I digress. I, I, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. Uh, but and again, it doesn't take anything away from the accomplishment. It's still absolutely no, incredible that her that it, it was her contemporaries in the media that recognized the hard work that she's done over the years in providing coverage for the Canadian Football League. That was incredible. Unfortunately, she, uh, she just had surgery, so she couldn't be there. So she did end up sending a uh, speech, an acceptance speech via, you know, uh, I guess via Zoom or however you want to call it. But uh, that was really well done. Uh, they also honored the late, great Chris Schultz. Uh, again, we we know him as a player, but we also know him, I think, probably know him a bit more as a broadcaster, to tell you the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. Phenomenal work that he's done with the CFL and TSN panel. Over the years, uh, you know, unfortunately, we lost him in 2021, but clearly his impact is still felt league wide and throughout the annals of TSN. Uh, I mean, you think you think about that TSN panel that has, has it sits now. They do fantastic work, but I know a lot of people say that they, they miss seeing Sheltsy on the uh, on the panel. And yeah, you, you can tell there's a lot of love from his colleagues as well. As I said, this, this breakfast had a very TSN flavor to it. So, I mean, a lot of people were there because of the induction of Chris Schultz, as well as the induction of John Hines, uh, a longtime CFL on TSN producer. Uh, He was there to accept the award and his speech as well. Like you could tell he was just overwhelmed practically like the, the love and the support from his contemporaries over at TSN. Uh, done a hell of a job because let's face it, the CFL and TSN broadcasts, I know a lot of people s- seem to think they're, they're starting to look a little dated and, you know, couldn't need a little freshening up, but I mean, to get to where he, where we are now, like once TSN took over as the lead broadcaster, I mean, it was basically up to him to say, okay, this is your baby now. Don't screw it up. And by and large, he hasn't, he's, he's done a phenomenal job producing outstanding episodes of TSN out, producing every great cup essentially since it went over to TSN, which is no small feat. I mean, he's definitely done fantastic work. Uh, you heard some glowing tributes to him by Glenn Sluter, who um, he essentially did the induction of, of John Hines into the Canadian football hall of fame. Uh, wow. It, it, like you said, it was such a great experience just to sit in and just see you know, what these people have done to help make this league a better place media wise, uh, the stories that they've been able to tell the, the, the things they've been able to share with viewers, readers, listeners, however you consume your media. Uh, yeah, definitely such a great experience. And again, if you're a media person and you're not at this breakfast, something is terribly, terribly wrong because this is, this is a, a learning board. This is, this is a chance to sit and admire what some of these people have done and you've got a hall of famers sitting there having breakfast with you that you can sit and talk to right. and, you know, hear their stories as well and get to meet them. And that to me is something that I really took full advantage of as much as I could was just sitting and talking with a lot of these guys who have covered great cups for like 20, 30, 40 years and just hearing their stories and going with some of the struggles they do. And they're asking us questions about, okay, well, what's it like for you guys doing this? Like, you know, cause they're not podcasters. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it's like. You know, they, they can assume of what a podcast is like, but you know, just to hear our experience, they were interested in hearing our experiences as well, our struggles and what we've gone through in, in order to produce uh, a show that people want to listen to or download and watch or what have you. Like, so to me, like this was 
such a great eye-opening event. And to be able to be a part of this and be a part of this association with the Football Reporters of Canada, it, it's a privilege I don't take lightly. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- this is a, a must-attend. And I know sun- yeah. Sunday morning, Grey Cup Sunday morning, like Ooh. if you've been out partying the whole night, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, feeling a little, you're feeling a little ragged maybe, but you – you splash some water on your face. You find a clean pair of socks and you, you go have some yes. breakfast because Suck you, you want to. By the way, Vicky yeah. Hall is the first woman within the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So there you and, go. I mean, just and, being there too, and, by the way, being there too, seeing, seeing the guy from the TSN panel, you know, seeing Dunnigan, seeing Milt, seeing um, uh, Rod Smith, you know, mm-hmm. seeing Suits. It's just so cool. I mean, you see all you usually mostly see them on TV. You know, a lot of we think of them as TV personalities, but they are real people. You know, mm-hmm. just hearing the stories about this and talking, you know, hearing how how prepared Chris Schultz was as a broadcaster. You know what I mean? It's just it it, it gives it gives hope. It gives hope for, for, for everybody to, you know, that, yeah, you can, you can be prepared. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at, you know, like a, like a, like a Matthew Shinetti now, look, look where he's coming 10 years. You know what I mean? So it's, everybody grows. It's just, it was just, again, uh, I obviously you do have to be a member of the media. I mean, I know that new media is being, uh, is being recognized. And I think there are, um, you know, I'm hoping that there will be new, uh, new groups from new media that, that are able to join, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that do join the football reporters of Canada because it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's just an honor. It's just an honor. Again, we may, they may not know our faces, but we're still a part of the story. We're all, nope. we're all there to tell, to tell a, a specific story. That's all, nope, that's, that's all the- that we're there for. So. That's the one thing that I, I came, came away with more than anything else is that we're there to tell a story about the Grey Cup, whether whether it's through print, whether it's through television, whether it's through a medium like this. I mean, we all have a story to tell. We all have a perspective to share. And I mean, that's what people want. That's how people consume media is in different forms, in different ways. And for us to be able to do it from, I guess, an Alouette's perspective, if you will, it, it, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And it's not one I, I take lightly. And, you know, I want to make it clear that, okay, maybe we're not traditional media in that sense. Maybe we haven't spent 30 years doing this, like uh, some of the reporters have been doing on the beat for, for whatever city or team that they're representing. But just to know that we're, we're here too. We, 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 we want our spot at the table. It doesn't have to be the biggest spot at the table, but we just want to be in the conversation and we we've been accepted with open arms because these guys, they want to hear from us. They want to know what we're doing. They want to know what we're going through. And if they can impart some wisdom onto us as well, that's great. I will take it all. I'll soak it all in like a sponge. I mean, to me, that's how I want to do better. That's how I want to be better at what we do. And the only way to do that sometimes is just to learn from the past, learn from your, the people that were there before you, the the ones that had to walk so that you could run like to like, and I, I, I'm I'm thankful, very thankful to have that opportunity to do so. And it's just a simple matter of, okay, yeah, Grey Cup Sunday. You know, it's not the most exciting time because it's the day of the game and everybody's hung over and, and such. But as I said, you just got to, you know, either, either police yourself accordingly the night before or you suck it up, get yourself ready, and you go to this FRC breakfast because it is – 
it is a lesson. It is a training camp, if you will, or a practice session even for, for media. So yeah, definitely. I, I'm hoping other podcasters follow suit. You know, if, if they're, if their team's in the gray cup and they have a chance to do what we were able to do, you definitely owe it to yourselves to become members of the FRC and participate in this because you will learn a lot in a very short time. Completely. But uh, let's pivot. Um, yeah, oh yeah, we have a game to talk about, don't we? That's right. We, we yeah, <laughs> we have we we have you know we we go have from the media stuff that we did on on Sunday, but to the game itself. Um, you know this this game, and, and I know there are a lot of a lot of thoughts that we had within our 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 our, our, our pregame live, but but still. Um, you know, this was an Alowitz team that nobody expected to be there. Uh, they're coming into the game as being approximately an eight-point underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a team that had felt disrespected. And there were many, many stories that, yes, we are not going to shy away from that we are going to talk about here. Um, but there were stories, you know, different stories from being, you know, being the 1%, being the, the band of misfits with Fajardo came up with so many great terms. Same thing with Coach Moss. They came up with such some great terms, but that's how they felt. You know, you know, representative of that representative uh, representing you know the uh, the the I, do I say the unofficial 2023 team logo? And if nobody remembers what I'm talking about, it was the the one that had all the symbolism uh, that looked like a jet fighter. You know, a representative of four two five and stuff like that. Stay tuned. I, I'm not a, the best graphics guy, but stay tuned because I actually have a breakdown of what every single thing means on that logo. And it's it it's in and I can understand why the, the players got behind it. But again, stay stay tuned for that. And I, you know, when, when, if I had to do it, if I had to do a you know what, if I had to tape a tape an episode, uh and a visual episode, hey. I'll do it just to show it off and we'll put it out on, on socials also. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they, they come into the game, you know, it's their first Grey Cup since uh, since 2010. Um, yep. You know, they're going, uh, it was a matchup where two teams that had never met before in the Grey Cup. There Again, so many different stories. And, and I, I just wanted to just get this one out of the way, Cliff, because I, I have to, because it, it's something that led into uh, into comments post-game with, uh, um, uh, with Ducroix, um, how it was perceived by some. Um, I, I just want your thoughts on it, because as, as people may or may not know, depending on which you know, how you were looking at social media, if you're really paying attention to media at all that day or leading up to the week, um, is that if you walked around Tim Horton's field, Cliff, you you did see the Grey Cup logo. Okay, that that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But you did not see the Grey Cup logo in both languages. You didn't see mm-hmm. it in English. You didn't see it in French. Uh, sorry, you saw it in English. You didn't see it in French. You know, and it seemed that this whole thing started a week prior in Toronto when the Canadian national anthem was not sung in both, both languages. Right. Um, it was brought up a lot by French media and it was brought up by, uh, uh besides Ducroix at the end of the game, who, who it was also brought up by, uh, on RD. yeah, Rash, yeah, Rashmadani, I think Digi on RDS. Um, 
uh, Denny Orton was just on RDS. But, and we don't, you were there before they painted some of the logos on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the 25s, they had both, you know, the CFL and the LCF logo, you know, the side of the field that the Alouettes are going to be on. Maybe that was the the entire plan the entire time. We don't know because those were painted after the fact. Yes. But mostly up until game time, from what I remember, there really was not any French signage except for in the press media rooms for the Alouettes press scrums post-practice. Mm-hmm. What are you, what are your thoughts on this? Because uh, 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 Randy Ambrosi kind of kind of I think stepped in it a little bit when he was commenting on I think the pregame show where he basically and this is just my paraphrasing that it's a nothing burger. There's nothing behind it, nothing at all. You really expect Ambrosi to come out and say, "Well, we screwed up." This is this is Randy Ambrosi who can't who can't stand up and admit that the whole genus sports thing has been an utter debacle. You know, however he commented on the, on the media press, uh, uh, state of the league this, you know, earlier this week, earlier last week, you know, mentioned some things about it, but we are a league that is of two languages. It is really of more language, but officially it is of two. What are your thoughts? Cliff? Cause as we saw at game time, by the way, and I think this is, this may have happened in, I don't know. You ended up seeing, I think, some rushed Grey Cup logos placed in the most obscure places where you never would have seen them. Um, so tiny that they weren't made on television. <laughs> what 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 were your what was your 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 mind set and your thought about this whole uh, missing uh, French Grey Cup logos? It was bizarre to say the least. I, I, I guess I didn't really notice it at first because you know you, you walk around Tim Hortons Field and you do see bilingual signage for the most part. I mean, for example, like the over the the video board, it does say Terrain Tim Hortons Field. So I mean, it's got sort of the bilingual translation there. Uh, it's always done that though. Yes, Tim Hortons. I don't know if you. Okay, you know that. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, so yeah. For those who don't know, it's always been bilingual for for Tim Hortons Field. Yes, uh, there are, there is signage in French in certain areas. Uh, as you said, in the green room where the uh, post practice scrums were held, uh, they did use the uh, like the backdrop had both uh, Coupe Gray and Gray Cup. So I I saw that they did have a Coupe Gray logo in on the front of the table. Uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, I guess I didn't really give too much thought about the actual inside of the stadium itself. Like as far as like the, the library, I believe it's called. I mean, I really didn't think too much of it, but cause I saw a lot of like Hamilton 110, Hamilton 110 stuff, and, you know, the occasional gray cup thing. But yeah, I guess in hindsight, looking back, it's like, yeah, there really wasn't anything. And yes, this is a, bilingual league it's a bilingual great cup and yes you do happen to have the te- the one team from quebec that does you primarily use french language things as for, for promotional materials there's nothing for them so to speak uh couple that with uh uh well, shock, I think francophone, shock francophones you know in the up up you know in the uh, head office in uh, toronto that's right yeah, it, it just 
Just go back bizarre. two years. The last one in Hamilton, there was there was bilingual library. Go back and check the photos. What happened in two years? Anyways, yeah. I, mean, I, I interrupted you. I interrupted you. Yeah, so I, I didn't think of it as disrespectful. I mean, it just... It, it's so funny. Like this, this uh, we we've said it numerous times. It, there's a lot of times where the Canadian Football League just can't get out of its own way, and this is a shining example of this. I mean, you'd That's think true. you would think that you know whoever is in charge of the decorations, you know, and 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 the ordering of this material would say, oh yeah, it's a great cup, but maybe we should do some coupe gray stuff done as well and put it throughout the state, like make it fifty fifty as much as possible. You know, like, I mean, it's not required by law, for example. Like, it's not like here in Quebec where, you know, you can have English on signs, but it has to be like two times smaller than the French. Like, it's like this is supposed to be as bilingual as possible when it comes to the Canadian Football League. And to not see any Coupe Grey stuff, yeah, it was bizarre. A couple that with, as I was talking about, the Shaw Cable had pretty much predicted Winnipeg versus Toronto to be in the Grey Cup. So, in a lot of ways, you'd be like, well, there's no, you can make almost make the argument, well, there's no French teams in the in the Grey Cup, so we don't need to put French stuff up. And and maybe most people wouldn't have noticed that. But sure enough, Arashman Danny noticed that there was no Coupe Grey or anything like any, any sort of French signage or anything, you know, as far as the, the library goes. And they, uh, it got picked up by other outlets. And yes, uh, Dizzy Ormages mm-hmm. from TSN or from RDS, I should say, he, he he noticed it as well and and just said it was just such a shame that the league doesn't think like that and then yes watching Randy Ambrosi kind of backpedal his way through it and you know I'm sure that behind the scenes there was a lot of rushing to get things straightened out as best as they could and you know make sure that you know there is definitely a French presence at the Grey Cup as as much as you can like you said a lot of stuff was done last minute like the uh, the painting of the logos on the uh, 25 yard line uh you know, little things and, you know, the, it, it was a scramble job to try and make it look a little bit more bilingual. But I mean, at that point, when you got a big honking CFL logo front and center on the 55 yard line, it's not both logos. You just had the one there. That's a major gaffe as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you had the Winnipeg logo on in one end zone. You had the Alouettes logo on the other one, which also did say Alouettes Montreal, which is more French leaning, but that's the right way to do it. Mm. So that logo logos wise, those are fine, but to not have the LCF logo at midfield as well. Baffling. Uh, again, someone was asleep at the wheel on that one. Uh, and then the other logos were added on after the fact, but they would have been added on regardless anyways, because of the practice that was going on and even had to touch up the midfield logo. But yeah, it's uh between that, between the uh, the anthem singer from the week before, like there was a lot of things that were piling up, and I think a lot of that was kind of weighing on Dequa, uh as as far as you know, like the lack of representation and how the rest of the Alouettes too, even if they're not francophone or from Quebec, realize okay, we're playing for a, a team from Quebec. They should be given respect. They should be given the 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 recognition of being a French language or bilingual organization as well and I, I i can see how some people would see it as a slap in the face you don't of all of these events put together 
just seems like one giant slap in the face. And then the league, instead of owning it, just kind of skirted around it and just kind of, as you said, tried to make it into a nothing burger. And that, that just, that never works as far as I'm concerned. Like that you're just digging yourself in a deeper hole. And yeah, I I think uh, when it was all said and done, like when, um, when the game was over and Mark Antoine got on the microphone, he let it out and kudos to him for, for saying what needed to be said and to, to express that emotion and frustration and all that. Like, I don't know if that made him play better. I don't know if that made this Alwitz defense player. I don't know if it made the Quebec born Alwitz players play better as a result. I, I mean, I, I, if you're not fired up being in the great cup, I mean, you don't have no business being there, but to me, I, I, I think that and, and this, this was really what, I was going to say, I want people to remember, too, in my opinion, because I know we have more exciting stuff to talk about, but it was something that it was it was news that it needed to bring. It needed to be talked about. In my opinion, no matter how this was taken out of context by some people, especially by some particular political parties here in Quebec, Mm. this was not a language issue. This was not a French versus English thing in any way, shape, or form. This was just a just a disrespect to a team from a province where it is predominantly French speaking, and you are not representing the entire country, the mm-hmm. entire league, all nine teams. It wasn't a French versus English. If anybody who tells you, and Cliff, if you think I'm wrong, tell me, please. I This was not a language issue, 100% in my mind. It was just a disrespectful type of thing where it was, again, the, the logo should have been in, in bilingually it's around, the, around the stadium. Doesn't matter who's playing. Yeah. Doesn't matter who's playing. Because let's not forget, it's, all nine teams have Quebec-born players on that speak French. Thank you. So, I mean, even if even if it was Winnipeg versus Toronto or BC versus Toronto for the Grey Cup, you still have francophone players on on those teams. I'm sure they like to be represented as well. And just something simple as seeing the LCF logo reminds them that yeah, okay, this is my league too. Like we're we they come from Quebec and we are playing for another province's team, but this is still our league in that sense. And yeah, the the, the lack of any sort of French you know, logos or signage or verbiage on, on signs or anything like that is just a major misstep. And instead of the league owning it, like hearing Randy Ambrosi just kind of fluff it off is disappointing, but truthfully not that surprising coming from him. No, no, it's not. It's not at all. Uh, any other any other storylines before we get to kickoff? <laughs> I, I, I mean, because I want, I want, I want, list, I want listeners to understand that this is something that, that did need to be talked about. And, and yes. again, I, I, I wanted to make it clear that it is not a language issue in any right. way, shape, or form. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I mean, Mark Antoine de Croix is now being sort of seen as a bit of a folk hero now because he feels like he's standing up to the evil English for, you know, being disrespected, but that it's not that 
it's it's that's, really yeah, that's not another that. narrative. Yeah, that's a narrative that it, that has been taken totally out of context. But people will use what they want to use, right, Cliff? They'll use what they want to use to to gain a quote unquote advantage. Sure. So, and, but you know what? I, I'll say this now. I will say this now. I know because we're jumping ahead of queer quickly. Even though today's uh, parade and championship celebration was done mostly in French, even our owner, Pierre Carpellado, said something in English. He did. And let's not forget, he also that, is the former leader of the Parti Québécois, which is very French, me, very separatist. Yeah, that, to me, yeah, was a very strong message to the fan base that I think I, I'm hoping it resonated that it, where it means doesn't matter if you're an Anglophone, doesn't mean if you're a Francophone, doesn't mean you, <clears throat> that you're an Allophone. You're all a part of Alouette's nation. Agreed. And I'm sure it also helps too that I, I guess you had to realize, okay, like I, I'm, I'm standing here with a bunch of my American born players that do not speak any French at all. So I guess I better say a little something to so that they can understand, which again is just smart. Because I never, yeah, I'm sure I, if you were asked, like, say this, but I never thought I'd hear me say this. But I'm, I actually, I actually applauded PKP for him do, for him doing that. Hundred percent. Really like I think that just speaks to you know the kind of person that's running this organization and top to bottom. Like yes, I mean, I, I think in a lot of senses that this team has may have felt like they've lost their identity as far as being in the province of Quebec and the city of Montreal. And with PKP at the helm, that's going to be changed. That's like the, the, he, he's made it very clear. This is Quebec's football team and he wants it to be celebrated by all Quebecers, you know, mm-hmm. whether you, and again, I'll even go as far as whether you're French speaking, whether you're English speaking, whether you speak both, whether you speak none, you're included. If you're if you're in Alois Nation, you're included on this team. That's mm-hmm. that's the narrative that should be pushed push more than anything else. Whether it's French, English, any of that it doesn't matter. I think with PKP coming out and as you said, giving a giving a speech today, pre- predominantly in French, yes, but he did mm-hmm. definitely put some English in there, maybe just to placate you know and make the players feel like okay, I'm I'm still a part of that. And I even remember too. The, the first day of training camp, the the, the uh, documentary that the Alouette showed, PKP was there in English telling his his story of how he came to be and how he rose to prominence in Quebec. He told that story in English to his players because, well, 99% of them are English speaking. So he, he, um, is, he is shown to it, – it's obvious that he's very proud of being Quebecois. He's very proud of being French predominantly French, but at the same time, as a businessman, he knows that sometimes you got to do business in English. And if you want to reach everybody, if you can speak both official languages, the world is your oyster. And I think that's truly how he presented himself from day one at training camp all the way to today's speech at the, at the parade. I um, Cause I know he's kind of leading, leading up, you know, past that we, we found out after the fact and we were talking about, you know, particular storylines, you know, that the team's been following all, all, all week, uh, you know, the band of misfit toys. Um, and, and, you know, we knew it sounded like that these players would walk through walls for each other. They would walk through walls for coach, for coach Moss. 
And we found out after the fact, because I think this is more more story for Nat, for right up leading up to kickoff than really is after kickoff. Is we heard about the uh, heard about the the pre the pre day speech from Cody Fajardo to the team, and it was mm-hmm. finally released out on social media, um, and hence the comment my uh, my <laughs> my f u uh, j w comment earlier. <laughs> um, what what would after hearing Cody speak and just the passion behind it, because he he himself felt slighted, obviously, which I can kind of get. Finally, we go from 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 uh, from language from language to uh, to Cody. Personnel. Yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> that was one hell of a speech by Cody, and and I think it's funny as everybody said Cody doesn't Cody does not swear. And I, I I get that. And even today, even today, he goes, "If you have kids, I'm sorry, but yeah, you cover your ears, kids." That's what he yeah. said. Today. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Because th- this puts, gives now us a little bit more insight into the team leading up to kickoff. I mean, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, and I, and I can't believe you haven't. It's on social media. You can't miss it. You really can't just go to the Alouettes uh, X account and you'll see it there. I- I'm sure they must have it on all their other socials as well, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is something. And it's funny because leading up to that, that was obviously done Saturday night and leading up to it. I remember I spoke with Cody Fajardo at media day on Wednesday, very quickly. And he was in good spirits. He was, you know, like very happy go lucky. Like I, not in the sense that like, you know, he's just happy to be there. Like, you know, he's just, he was relaxed. He was enjoying the moment, so to speak. And, you know, it was nice to talk with him there. Uh, was it Friday? No, sorry. Saturday afternoon. Uh, they did a, a presser with him as well. And same thing. He was just, you know, going through some of, uh, you know, what he'd seen in camp so far, uh, what he'd seen during practice, uh, during this great cup week, uh, you know, answered a lot of the questions about his, uh, his journey, if you will, leading up to great cup Sunday. And it's funny. It was, kind of stuff I, I'd come to expect from Cody Fajardo. You know, like he was obviously very engaged, very passionate, very, you know, very concise with his words as well. But wanted to make clear that, you know, how he felt. Like he said to himself, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You guys know this. You guys in the media know this, and you've even given me grief over it. But that's just <laughs> who I am. He's a very passionate, very proud individual. When I saw that speech that he gave to his, his teammates – you saw the fire. You saw the man become a leader. Like you, you saw, okay, this guy is going to go to war for me. So I'm going to war for him. Like, uh-huh. like, uh, yeah, like he, you can see that he was pissed off. He was insulted. He was upset. Like a lot of the stuff that we saw from, as, as, as we keep going back to the debacle with ownership in back in February, which handcuffed this organization in signing certain free agents, which led to Cody Fajardo coming here. And when he came here, a lot of people didn't want him. A lot of people were like, why are you signing this guy? He's a loser. He's nobody. He, he sucked out in Saskatchewan. Like, why, why are you doing that? Why? Because Jason Moss was a coordinator. He sucked out there too. Like, there was a, so much negative about that. And Cody, to his credit, if people were saying that to his face, you didn't know about that. He just kept coming forward, saying the right things, and just said, just watch me work. You're going to you're going to see someone who's going to give 110% and do all, like did all the right things. And yes, 
by and large, it wasn't a perfect season for Cody Fajardo, but he definitely did the work and he definitely helped win this team win football games. And slowly but surely, you got to see him become the leader of men. Like the, we, we definitely see in Jason Moss, but we even said during the pregame show and we, before we saw this speech that simply put, Cody Fajardo is going to have to become the leader that we expect him to be. He's going to have to play the game of his life on Sunday. And if you had seen that speech, there was no question in your mind he was going to play the game of his life. I mean, just the way he did it, the way he emphasized everything, like to the critics, the haters, uh, to everyone who doubted this team, who doubted him, who doubted everything to do with this organization. He said it perfectly. Fuck you. Just watch. He, he, he hammered that point over and over again. And you can see, you, you see the anger, the frustration, like that, that sheer disrespect being thrown in his face. And he was not having it anymore. Like he, he'd had enough. Like he was like to the point, like you, you would almost feel sorry for the Winnipeg blue bombers. Cause like they're going to get it. Like that was just the, that feeling. And I'm sure like anyone who was in that room probably felt the same way. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go. Like, this is our guy. This is our leader. And that's what he did. He took this team into war and he led them. He, he, he truly became a leader of men. Uh, so proud of his speech. Like so, so proud of, taking that energy that we know that, 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 that fiery passion and just putting it towards something like this was such a treat. Like I, I can just imagine what it must've been like, like the players when they hear him talk like that, just be like, yeah, yeah, that's my quarterback. Yeah. Joey Alfieri was mentioning too, that he was in the background when they were doing that thing. And he said, and even he said that he would have you know, run through a wall for him after that speech. I, I, you know, so, so many other people I, were saying never, the same thing. Yeah, I've never been in a room where I've heard, had that type of speech said. You know, just a, just a, not necessarily to fire you up, but just to get you in the right mindset. I would love, I would love to have been that in that room, oh, just to hear without, that. without question. And as I said, like just the in talking with the players this week, and talking with the coaches, and talking with everybody involved with the Alouettes this week, this past week, I never got the impression once that they were just glad to be there. Like, cause mm-hmm. you, a lot of teams get accused of that. It's like, just they're glad to be there. They're just excited. That they made it to the gray cup. Like, no, they were thankful to get there, but they knew they had to work their asses off to get to this point. And they didn't come this far just to come this far. Like they came to work and that's what it really was, was they were there to work. They were, the, they had a goal in mind. They knew what they had to do in order to be victorious on Sunday. And I dare say they, they worked their plan to perfection. What is your thought on people who say, just real quickly, it's just a narrative. You know, they needed something to, to back them. You know, they weren't just the 1%. They weren't the ones that are being marginalized. You know, you know why don't take, don't take uh, uh, you know the power ranking so so you know so personal that type of thing. I think it's garbage because it's true. I mean, and I and there will be many stories that we have on our season-ending episode where we're just going to go over the entire season for for the Owls and for us, where it we we know what this team has been through. You know, Cody's even said too that. He's grateful that Danny Mac gave him a two-year contract, not just a one-year contract, mm-hmm. a two-year contract. You know, it just shows that he was he was wanted. He was wanted. So, and, um, and not to mention the fact too, like a lot of people thought, okay, Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo weren't getting along in Saskatchewan. Turns out, 
they wanted to work with each other. It truly was Saskatchewan themselves that couldn't make it work between the two of them. And first chance they got to get rid of them both, they, they end up being the scapegoats for the, the terrible season they had in Saskatchewan last year. Uh, un, unfair, And now we see unfairly because, well, clearly they were not the problem. The, the, yes, Saskatchewan ended this season the exact same way that they did last on a seven-game losing streak. Exactly. You can't blame Cody Fajardo for that. You can't blame Jason Moss for that. Now, unfortunately, Saskatchewan, they got to look themselves in the mirror and say, yeah, they weren't the problem. It's all on us. Um, how important do you think? Because you know, I've always said to you that the that the that the coin toss in the CFL is one of the most underwhelming and useless, you know, useless things that is done at the beginning of the game. This time around, it actually meant a lot. You know, because usually, with as people may or may not know, is that when it comes to the, to the coin toss, you can defer, sure. But once you get once you come to the second half, even though you you have deferred and you you should be getting the kickoff, you can actually, I guess, give up the give the kick so you can flip sides. You can choose the side that you want in the, in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. How important was them winning that coin toss and deferring to the second half? Versus Winnipeg in this Grey Cup, I think it was huge because you had to see what Winnipeg was going to do. You you know offensively, they're very powerful, and you almost want to put your defense to the test right away and see if you can get that stop. And also, too, I mean, the wind wasn't really a factor per se. I mean, like we felt it in the stands, though. I mean, it was cold and blustery. It didn't look like it damp. on the field. It was well, damp. Yeah. Well, there's that too, but I, mean, I don't think the players were truly affected by that. I mean, a lot of them went sleeveless, so I, I you know, yeah. obviously they slathered on the Vaseline and off you go. But, <laughs> uh, but as far as yeah, I think you want to see, you want to see what you have to work with first. And I mean, by now you, you had to know what Winnipeg's capable of offensively. And I think it's for this defense, though, I think it was key for them to get their legs in underneath them right away and see what they have to deal with as far as, you know, trying to limit Zach Caleros and his receivers, trying to keep Brady Oliveira honest as well. I mean, that's, I think for them, is this defense by and large has been the star of this Montreal Alouettes team up into the Grey Cup. And I think it's just a matter of, you know what these guys are able to do. It's making sure that they can go and do it against Winnipeg, the same way that they did against Toronto, Hamilton, and so forth. Uh, you know, and, yeah, I mean a lot can change be, uh, from the first half to the second half, but I think that's I think it was key for them to you know, defer to the second half. Let's get started with the defense right away because that's where our bread is buttered, and take it from there and, and just get you know I'm almost forcing Zach Caleros into action right away, and let's see what he's going to do. Let's see how he reacts to our defense because yes, these two teams have played each other earlier in the year, and but it's not the same defense. Zach Close is facing this time around. God, I hated that. They kept on bringing that garbage up. And I'm like, as we said in our, 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 our pregame, come on. This is not the same. This is not the same Alouette's team that played them earlier in the year in any way, shape or form. This wasn't the same Alouette's team that had only scored three points offensively against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the regular season. That was a regular season. This was Grey Cup. Yep. You know, my thought too, Cliff, is winning that, uh, that, that, Toss uh, the the coin toss is kind of a godsend because, you know, 
teams that, that are like that, they want to try and do, they try, try and want to double dip. They try to want to score before the end of the half, depending on where they are winning or losing, get some points, and then get the kickoff to try to do the exact same thing again and get some yes. more points. Correct. The Owls almost pulled that off. I know I'm jumping ahead here. The Owls almost pulled that off, but getting that kickoff at the beginning of the third quarter allowed them to change the narrative of the game. Mm. It allowed them to change the narrative. I know we're jumping ahead, but again, we'll talk about it. I mean, but, but a three-play touchdown drive, put them right back in the game. Right back in the game. Where and they, they were only... So, and again, they were only down by seven at the half, or down by ten at the half. So, I mean, not an insurmountable lead. So, I mean, yeah, no, it's just... No. It was about getting the momentum and just essentially keeping it throughout the game. Yeah. Thoughts on these, how the how the game started off early on? Because if nobody watched the real stats, I mean, you and you, you know, all of us were sitting there in the stands. And um, by the way, first time at in, in at Tim Hortons Field, even though we were the upper deck, I think eight rows up, we weren't that far away from the from the field itself. So I top notched on how they constructed the, the stands. It's just weird how to get around the stadium, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you check the, the, the stats originally for the first quarter, this seemed to be the Alouettes that we've been seeing for most of the year. You know, Winnipeg completely dominated that first quarter. They held the ball for 12 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, the Owls, I think, had... Uh, was it six offensive plays? Yeah, six offensive plays in the first quarter. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a little tough. And again, we, as I said, one of the keys was going to be keeping Brady Oliver honest, but he he came to play. I mean, he was mm-hmm. maybe maybe inspired by the fact that he didn't win most outstanding player at the CFL Awards. He won most outstanding Canadian, but not most outstanding player. Probably felt he should have, so he wanted to prove that he should maybe should have been most outstanding player as well. And he was just difficult to stop. Like I, I jokingly call him Brady Olive Oil because he's so damn slick. Like as far as trying to tackle the guy, <laughs> not not quite as bad as AJ Olette trying to tackle him. But I mean Olivera. I mean, there's a reason why this guy has over two thousand yards rushing. I mean, he is just he's so good on the ground. I mean, there's there's no question about that. And Montreal definitely had to respect that. And yeah, they he was giving the Elvis defense quite a few fits. And yeah, scoring uh scoring touchdowns and uh, just. You know, running roughshod essentially in that uh, that first half of football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first quarter alone, too, as I said, uh, Al's had the ball. Here it is for three minutes and fifty five seconds. You know, they were lucky to be up. I mean, we had been worried about William Stanbeck for you know for the last couple of weeks. Uh, really didn't do anything last week. Seemed like they got their running game going somewhat so in, within the entire game itself, so to speak. Um, but for William Stanbeck to really put a statement, get the Owls back into the game after they were down ten with that long touchdown, uh, it, it showed it showed us that this was not going to be a blowout, and that, and that the Alouettes were were actually here to play. Without question, and we can't overlook some of the questionable calls made by the referee. Uh, probably the most egregious one to start the, the first half was that uh, unnecessary roughness call on Mustafa Johnson as he was trying to tackle Zach Caleros, claiming that it was not roughing the passer because at that point he was already running. But mm-hmm. that that was a baloney call. That truly was. I mean, that 
you didn't know better, you'd swear the refs had money on Winnipeg. And I, I hate using that <laughs> expression because every, especially when the team loses, and it's like, exactly. I, I don't want to come across as sour grapes, but it's not I mean, we'll, we won, but, but, but also you know, too, like, but, but what bothered me though, was like Willie Jefferson made a very similar tackle on, on Cody Fajardo. No, it was very close. Like it was almost leaning towards horse collar the way he kind of grabbed the top of his Jersey. Didn't not very long. Obviously it happened so quick that, you know, the referees didn't have a chance to possibly even consider the possibility of it being uh, a horse collar. But I found that Willie Jefferson's tackle was very similar to what Mustafa Johnson did to Zach Laros, but no flag was given to Jefferson. And mm-hmm. the, the flag that was given to Johnson uh, essentially moved the, move the uh the bombers pretty much all, all the way to the goal line practically and that's how winnipeg scored their first touchdown and between that and there's a couple of other questionable calls as well uh, throughout the game that it almost felt like calls? a lot of non calls too i mean that i mean that's the thing i mean i again it's easy to complain about referees and especially this being the biggest game of the year you can't screw things up. You you really can't. You really got to make sure the calls are done properly. And you think even the, the the command center would have taken a look at some of these calls and be like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. It's it. No, it's not that. And just pick up that See, flag. It started. We started with the Stanbeck uh, touchdown. How yeah, long was that delay? I I mean, not as long as the Ben Cahoon retirement ceremony, but I mean, it was pretty damn close. <laughs> uh, weekly reference. Love it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that yeah. It took a long time for them to determine that, yes, it was a touchdown. I mean, you, you said it yourself. Way, no, you said it yourself no, in the stadium, it. though, that, listen, if, if you can't figure it out in two minutes, then it's obviously not like there's nothing like it's not disputable. Exactly. And, By the way, so, so if that's the case, note to CFL, get pylon cams. You have 45 cameras, you have a helicopter, you have a drone, get, you know, spend some money and get pylon cams. Yeah. You know what I mean? Couldn't hurt. I mean, (laughs) considering that's how. There were were questionable calls. There was, and and I went, I've already watched, I've already gone back to watch, watch Grey Cup again. Uh, There was the questionable call on the uh, James Fletcher fumble. Where there, in my opinion, and a lot of people too, that that was no yards. It Agreed. Was obvious. He was he was outside the five yard mark. Obvious. 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 There was the play in the end of the first half uh, on the goal line stand where Montreal was stopped, which could have ended the game, by the way. But again, we talked about it before. They got the ball back in the second half, kickoff in the second half, and was able able to score at, at uh, you know three plays later. Yeah. Uh, defense was offsides. Uh, there was the egregious and blatant DPI on the incredible Austin Mack one-handed catch. Where was the ref looking? It was so obvious that he had Mack's arm. It was so obvious he had Mack's arm. What? I don't, don't get it to get his hand in his pocket, but you know, get the flag in his pocket. We couldn't what, do anything because because on the on the no yards call, Coach Maz challenged it, and the command center. I guess there was n- not enough information in order to overturn it. Garbage. How many? You have forty five cameras. 
You have a sky cam, you have a drone, and you cannot tell me that you didn't see a photo. You didn't see a, a picture, you know, a yeah. video that showed that he was within five yards. He was past the five yard mark. Come on. Yeah. And then this one about Mac. If it wasn't yeah. for Mac, man, oh, oh, oh man, you know what I mean? And I, would, I, would, would the, would the uh, as you just said, would the command center have stepped in? Would they have stepped in if, if, if Austin had not caught that ball? I don't know. I'm going to assume not. And it's not a matter of being biased towards one team or another, but I mean, it was a phenomenal Did catch. It? And again, yeah. credit to Austin Mack for being able to take an underthrown ball by Cody Fajardo and just make magic happen. But yes, he was clearly interfered with and the referees, you know, swallowed their whistle or something, but they, they couldn't, couldn't throw the flag on that, but you throw flags on other stuff like that. Like I said, it was, it was very questionable. A lot of the decisions and I'm, not, I'm again, not sour, try not to make this sour grapes or anything like that. And a lot of people are like, well, what are you complaining about your team one? Well, it wasn't about whether or not our team won or not. It was a matter of, you want this is the biggest game of the year, and you want it called correctly. And mm-hmm. yes, everybody makes mistakes. You know, sometimes calls get missed and things like that. But I mean, like, you know, stop to think the reason why that was such an amazing one-handed catch was because his other hand was otherwise compromised. I mean, mm-hmm. put two and two together, why don't you? Yeah. Again, thank God, thank God for Mac. That was that. I'm trying to remember. Is that on the on the on the speaker touchdown drive, or is that in the one after that? No, I'm I remember. I, I I think it was uh, it was after that. Okay, so it was on the one that he scored. Uh, <laughs> was no, it was a touchdown. No, he he didn't score. No, he didn't score until the, I think late in the third quarter. So I mean, it was. No, but it wasn't the same drive though. It wasn't the same drive. I don't believe. No. Okay. But still, yeah, that that was another storyline itself was these refs. I mean, there weren't very many penalties called in this game, but still, no, the, the ones that weren't or missed were just. You want you supposedly are the best because you were there, doing the game, doing the Grey Cup, and this garbage. I don't complain about referees that often, but this this was, you know, in the game. If this happened was, in the Super, if this had happened in the Super Bowl, they'd be getting reamed just as hard. Well, hell, look, we've seen worse. We've seen DPIs that should have been called, you know, in the playoffs in, in the NFL. And look where that. Le- I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. It was it Saints Rams. Was that one of the most uh, egregious uh, ones recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Back in twenty twenty one, I think it was. Incident DPI. I just don't understand this clip. No, especially Anyone. with so many cameras at the game itself. And yeah. you're telling me you couldn't see this angle. Like, like, and again, it's not like coach Moss had a timeout to burn or is, no, he, had, he didn't have a challenge to burn on it because he already used it for the, uh, as you said, the, the letter fumble. Like that's, and again, something else that, you know, is, is happening way too often where coaches almost have to do the, the job for the referees to bring it, bring this sort of thing to their attention. By the way, even though with the Alouettes had pulled after the third quarter had pulled within uh, pulled within three, he, uh, Winnipeg still dominated that third quarter. The Owls only had the ball for four minutes and twenty two seconds. It didn't seem it though; it's because the game was so close. The defense was doing what they needed to do. 
Something yeah. that they've been doing all week long, all and all year long. You know, the fourth <laughs> quarter is when they stood up. You know, outs- yeah. outscoring Winnipeg by by twenty. Uh, well, they outscored Winnipeg in the second half, twenty-one to seven. And you can tell that Zach Caleros was trying to really make stuff happen. I mean, he was throwing darts to Kenny Lawler. Nick Dembski was able to evade all sorts of tackles and mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. you know really stretch the field. Mm-hmm. You know, but but this is the, we even talked about him earlier in the season. Talked to him uh, in one of our interviews for. Uh, for Grey Cup. Let's talk about Kabian Ento. <laughs> and his just comeback story. Because this was a guy that we we were blasting. After that game versus Toronto where the Alouettes lot where he gave up, essentially he gave up four TDs and he gave up the winning touchdown versus Toronto. Mm-hmm. But after coming back from a bye something changed being switched to the other side of the field this rookie looked like a vet to be able to tip away first a, a Zach Caleros pass in the end zone and then second of all to know the know to have the foresight to say I'm getting off my guy because he recognized the pattern and saw where Zach was throwing the ball. And for Cabe Into to pick off that ball in the end zone, that was another huge turning point for this Alouette's team in the Grey Cup. Yeah. Not to mention, too, he caused a, a fumble earlier on. Like He caused a Brady Oliveira th- fumble that uh, Siante Evans was able to pick up that helped put the momentum back to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... It, I mean, you talk about people having to play the game of their lives. I mean, we thought KB Ento did a phenomenal job in the Eastern Final against the Argos. I mean, he had a pick six in that game, and he played some outstanding football there. We thought that was great. What a that that alone made for a great full circle moment for KB. On as you talked about, he got burnt badly in that that first game against Toronto, and then for him to have that pick six and have that sort of full circle moment, if you will in the Eastern final was fantastic. And so you figure anything else he does at this point is just a nice bonus. We'll talk about what ultimately would be a game saving touchdown or, or, or interception because had, had Winnipeg scored there, that might've been just enough to, for them to hold on and win. But KB Nento just was not going to be denied. Like, and he, he read the route perfectly. He, he, kept his eyes on the quarterback. He almost dared him to throw and the ball just broke the perfect way. And Ento just turned into it at the right precise moment and just snapped it away. Absolutely. Absolutely outstanding. And against Kenny Lawler, no doubt, no less. And we were wondering who's going to be covering Kenny Lawler. And I thought, I bet you it's going to be Ento. And, you know, if it was the KB Ento of earlier this year, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But if it's it was clearly going to be the KB Ento who had a phenomenal game in the Eastern Final, like, okay, this is going to be a test for him, but I bet you he does well. And look what happened. I mean, Kenny Lawler did have some nice catches in this game, put up some mm-hmm. half-decent numbers working against Ento, but when when it counted the most, when when the when you really needed a phenomenal play from this defense. There he was. Keep calm and KB on. And the interception occurred in the third quarter after the Alouettes had had pulled within three. 
So it, it, it was, you know, it, even that early, you know, it was about five, uh, seven minutes left of the halfway through the third. It still was a huge play. I mean, Big time. Then, we got, then we got the Mac touchdown in the, in the fourth. Uh, uh, let's, let's not overlook uh, Cole Speaker's touchdown where he absolutely dusted Adam Big Hill. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't overlook that at all. Can't uh, overlook that. Wasn't, wasn't that the touch? That, that wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't that the tutty in the third? Yes, it was. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. But the play coverage and you, uh, Marshall Ferguson actually did a, a very nice breakdown of it. Uh, oh, go God. check it out on his yeah. uh, on his X account. He what just, a stuff that he broke down. That was amazing. I mean, just and it's kind of funny because even Adam Big Hill himself responded like it was great coaching by the Alouettes. But I mean, that's not my job to cover a, a receiver vertically or horizontally. <laughs> I'm like, look, dude, we know this, but at the same time. Listen, you're, you're you're still one of the the premier linebackers of this league. I mean, you got to be able to adjust for everything, and I'm pretty sure any linebacker worth his salt will tell you the exact same thing. So, again, I don't think it was meant to be sour grapes on Big Hill's part, but um, it's just just own it, man. I think that's really what it was. And listen, give him credit. He he, you know, throughout the week, we didn't know if Big Hill was going to even be playing in this game or not, or at least that's what Winnipeg wanted you to think. And not only did he play in this game, he also got hurt again in this game. I thought, okay, well, there's no way he's come back in. And sure enough, he was back in there. But it almost felt, if you didn't know better, you'd swear that Anthony Calvillo and Jason Moss were just going to pick on him, you know, just take advantage of a wounded animal. That's really what it came down to. And that's pretty much what that speaker touchdown was, was just him being able to evade Big Hill, like just draw the coverage away. Like uh, the usual coverage was drawn away and Big Hill was left to his own devices. And like I said, he's not a hundred percent. And it was clear because speaker was able to just sort of, you know, zip past him and catch the touch touchdown. And it was just, wow, just a great sequence all around. Not if you're out of big hill, but I mean, that, that, that was just a great touchdown strike as far as I was concerned. Before we get to the, the final drive, you know, this wasn't all, you know, sunshine and, and sunshine and butterflies for the Owls here. There actually was a, a something that was very concerning for us throughout the game, and it's a guy that really had not had a problem at all the entire season. Uh, what you and I were only wondering what was going on uh, with punter, uh, uh, you know, with our punter, Joseph Zima, because yeah, because Zima, man. <clears throat> It's one of the worst. It's probably it's one of the worst games he's had as an Alouette. Shanking punts, two of them going out uh, for uh, for legal kickoffs. Mm. He had one fantastic punt earlier later on where it was just a booming punt. But that was really one of the only bad things about this game was Joseph Zima's punting. Yeah, I, I was convinced he actually one of them at. I was convinced hit the cable of the cable camera, but as I watched it moving back and forth, I was like, okay, that I mean, it's possible, but not in this case. Like, I, I think it just really was, I, I don't know if he had the yips all of a sudden or what it was, or maybe the, the football was maybe just a little too cold because of the wind. I, who knows what it was or, you know, it's just, that was not the time for Joseph Zuma to have a bad game, simply put. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
Thankfully, it didn't end up costing the Alouettes in the end because even though it gave Winnipeg a short field, the defense stood up and was able to at least keep, you know, keep keep the damage to a minimum. If yeah, if no not, matter, no matter what happened, yeah, no matter what happened, it, it seemed like on both of those both of those plays too, where he where he had those, the Owls came through with sacks. Yeah, they came through with sacks. And, and yeah, whether whether it was Darnell Sankey, Reggie Stubblefield getting a sack, I mean that. Wow, what that, was, that, was, that, was, it was, that went low to that one. I can only oh, imagine he, the jawing that he was giving Caleros when he was trying to rip the ball away down there, even though it was Zach. He, it was Zach's ball, but, yeah, you know. I, he, he put the wood to him. That was, it was phenomenal. Uh, Sean Lemon also got a sack on Caleros as well. I mean, that. Mm-hmm. But, but again, we weren't expecting that from Reggie. I mean, Reggie, like I said, he's been the, the turnover machine. He's been the one that's, you know, making plays happen, but for like, you don't really hear a whole lot of quarterback sacking from Reggie Stubblefield, but boy, no. and then Mustafa's sack. Oh, yeah, yeah. he, he made it for it in the first quarter. I think he made it for it in the first quarter after that garbage call by the refs. He made it yeah. for it in spades. Yeah. Just a much better effort. And yeah, just once again, despite having a, a shortened field, this Alois defense was simply not going to be denied. They were not going to let Winnipeg run, rough shot on them no so let's talk let's talk about the drive the drive without one question that, that one of the most one of the most memorable drives i'm sure in alowitz history we've had a few but yeah, man so, so let, let's set the tables 24 21 for winnipeg minute 34 left on the clock when this essentially got going and we, we know this. The Canadian Football League, anything can happen. No lead is safe. I know it's a – at times it feels like a tired narrative, but in this case, it truly wasn't. And I think both teams realized that, and that's why they played the way they did. Uh, I mean, it started – Cody Vajardo gets a gets – a, uh, one of his infamous hitch passes to Austin Mack, minimal gain. Uh, next, next play, second down – takes a massive quarterback sack. Like really just not the time to take a sack like that. Second and 18 now. And again, let's not forget clock does stop after three minutes, but still time is at a, is of the essence. Second and 18. Fajardo goes through his reads. Doesn't like what he sees. Tucks the ball and runs. And I, I know myself, I was cringing like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Cause Every time I see Fajardo run, yeah, he can he can bust off some really impressive runs, but then sometimes he just it runs into his offensive lineman or runs into a defender or something, and it just gets stopped cold. And that that was my biggest fear. Instead, he goes for a nice little scamper, thirteen yards. Like, okay, that's great. Thank goodness, no no turnover, no nothing. But it's third now and five. third and five, and this is the ball game right here. Like. Oh Christ! What do you what what do you what do you call it? like just you just gotta get the first down? You just gotta get the first down. Cody takes his uh, three step drop and hucks it in the air. I'm like, oh, fudge! Uh, and then you see the whole speaker again. Uh, another ball that's underthrown, or maybe the wind caught it. I'm not sure, but a little bit underthrown. But Cole speaker adjusts to the ball, makes the catch, gets the first down. <sighs> Breathing a sigh of relief, but once again. Clock is really ticking now. <laughs> we're we're mm-hmm. uh, th- this whole sequence took up a good minute of that minute thirty four. 
Yeah. We're now and leading, and then leading into this, now 35 seconds left on the clock. And then what is called Gold Right, Y Tough, 775X Deep, Frisco, Y Poco, Y Nut Squat, Z Snap. Hut, hut. Yeah. No. 99.9% of the people listening to this podcast have no idea what that means. <laughs> but only two people truly had to know what it meant. I mean, oh, okay, technically, 12 people or 11 people had to know what that mean meant. <laughs> or 12, oh, sorry, 12 people had to know what they, that meant. Talking about the offense. And that, by the way, and that last part, by the way, the Z snap, only one person had to know what that was. Yes. Who was assigned to that one. And that just happened to be most outstanding Canadian. Tyson, Tyson Philpott. Philpott. He, who is a Z receiver. And he was. And what does snap mean? Essentially, you start your route. You get to the defender and you snap back to kind of throw him off. That's why they said you snap. Deke you deke him. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little juke out of his uh, shorts and. Off he went, and oh my god! When Cody leaned back again, I'm I'm still looking at the clock. I'm looking at Cody, and I'm like, okay, you got the first down. That's great, and don't play for the tie because you, you just don't play. Like you got to go for it, and sure enough, he did. And just the way that short window that he was able to thread the ball into Phil Potts' hands and into the end zone, mm -hmm. I think my heart dropped. Like my because. I, I was ready for the worst. I'm sorry to say I, I was ready for the worst because despite the fact that Cody basically played the game of his life, be, besides the fact that all of these guys on offense played like their heroes on fire, did everything they could to win this game. You just never know. Like sometimes it's a bad bounce or something awful happens or, you know, there's some reason why we've seen many, many a time on, on a potential game winning drives. Absolutely. Far too many times that I care to remember. But on this particular instance, Cody just threw a perfect strike to Tyson Philpot, who caught the ball in his hands, crossed the end zone, and Avalanche everybody exploded. Nation just went wild. Like I, I, I was there excited and shocked at the same time. Like, oh my God. Oh my God, Dallas just took the lead by three, had to kick the extra point. They're up by four with 13 seconds left on the clock. Now we talk a lot about the number 13, the significance to this Alouette's organization. Number 13, who, the number since has been retired, Anthony Calvillo, who is the offensive coordinator, who came up with that play. 13 seconds left on the clock. It's been 13 years since the Alouettes were in a Grey Cup game. Uh, I think there's a couple other instances where 13 mattered at some point, but I... I uh, 13 years since our last Grey Cup. I just said that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's all, all kinds of significance with number 13. The fact that this game, win essentially game-winning touchdown was scored with 13 seconds left on the clock was just kismet, like just destiny. Like you talk about this team being a team of destiny. 
that was the destiny. That was that's what had to happen. And we even joked with uh, Tyson Philpot at, at the at the walkthrough. It's like you know you and Cody were having such a nice connection throughout the the later stages of the year, but he missed you on the in the Eastern final. And Tyson laughs and says, "Okay, well we'll start a new streak." at the gray cup. I'm like, okay, that that's fun. That's cool. That, that, that. But wouldn't you know it? He actually did it. Like he, he, he prophesized that and he made it I come to light. Of, I just thought of another 13 besides AC, the clock, the 13th man. What's the, what's the total of Tyson and Cody's numbers put together? Oh my God. Tyson wears number six. Cody wears number seven. Oh my lord! I didn't think about. I didn't think about that till now. Oh my word! That's crazy. I I I I, I know. Come on, people say Tim, Clay, you're grasping at straws. No, the hell we're not. Fuck you! Just watch. Yeah, exactly. By the way, because that is an an actual quote. Unfortunately, for this episode, the lunatic will not be making an appearance. <laughs> we forgot to pack him at uh, to go to Grey Cup. So, oh my man! But but wow! Just euphoria, euphoria. By the way, okay, I didn't notice this until I saw it again. And then, obviously, you know, the kickoff, Winnipeg gets the ball, and everything, and all the defensive backs are just they're just running. You know, they're just rushing three. Mm-hmm. On that last play, where I understand, you know, you can try anything you can to get the ball into the end zone, and because we've seen it before with, with the the regular season game versus Toronto, back forth, back forth, free kicks, and the Owls getting a a, a touchdown for the win. Right. Luol Ugalak calling that free kick for Winnipeg. If you go back, somebody posted it out on social media. He noticed the Winnipeg punter coming in on that last player no or pointing him out all he was doing he was he was doing the kicking motion he was pointing it out to his players that he was in the game and by the way wasn't it the kicker who, who Uguak smoked on that play was it Uguak who smoked him no it wasn't I don't, I don't think it was a kicker i think it was another player who just ended up kicking the ball However, it can't, okay, I'm trying to remember. I have to go back and check the the, the play by play, but so I think Ugalak was actually he actually made a beeline towards Zach Caleros, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was uh, Sheehan. It was Sheehan. So oh, Caleros oh. pa- passed it to number 18 Sheehan, and then he tried the open field the open field kick, and that's when Ugalak just smoked him. Okay, so I stand corrected. Yeah. But what made me laugh, though, was as the ball was sailing into the arms, eventually into the arms of Marc-Antoine de Croix, Reggie Stubblefield was calling for a fair catch. <laughs> Dude, do you forget? Uh, and again, I, I'm going to chalk that up to just muscle memory because... And the clock's being at zeros. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, that just made me laugh more than it. Like, upon, upon second review, because at that moment, I was just holding my breath and just, Oh God, just, but sure enough, as soon as Dequa caught the ball and just moved forward enough, just, and then went right down zeros on the clock game over the Montreal Alouettes shocked the world yet again and yeah. win the great cup. Eighth great cup, the great eight. Um, 
Alowitz win. It's funny to say. I had to look this up. They won their third straight Grey Cup, the ones that they've been into. So 09, 10, and 23. So the third straight. Not not close to not close to uh, to Toronto at the moment, but still, it's it, it's still nonetheless, it's still a cool thing to see. Yes, definitely. Um, and and by the way, um, I know this is a very long form pod this episode this week, but for obvious reasons. But shout out, shout out to the uh, to the Alois organization for allowing us. We we never thought that, that we would get this type of experience, but being, being given access to be on the field post game, yeah, to it, see the Grey Cup being given out, see the announcements, and call me silly for being able to get Grey Cup confetti. I don't care what people say. I had a pocket full of Grey Cup confetti. I'm happy to say it. Yeah. Then I, finding I, out early later earlier this week, by the way, that uh, Rick Moffat, former you know voice of the Alouettes, had Grey Cup confetti still in his car from 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that but was what an ex- what an experience to be on the field for all that. Oh, I mean. And, Able and, able to do the live. We never thought we would be able to do the live post game on the field. We were to be able to have access to the Alouette's locker room and to be able to because uh, we had already you know then the amount of hugging that we did post game and the people that we hugged was crazy. Oh, yeah, just to congratulate <clears throat> them. Just the sheer and joy, the, and, and then going into the locker room. That's amazing. That that. Yeah, I again, you you said it. I, we cannot thank the Montreal Alouettes enough for gifting us that opportunity. And you know, they you know, but they had to win. They had to win the game otherwise we wouldn't be able to experience that. But they won. It was absolutely incredible just to see the joy. Like we got to see, you know, their fa- like we got to be with the friends and family on the field mm-hmm. to take in this moment and seeing so many family members that we've gotten to know over, over this past season as well. And just seeing the, the sheer joy on their face, uh, the Philpot family, we, we talked about, I talked about how I saw them earlier at stamps house uh, earlier in the week, but to see the entire Philpot family on the field as well, speaking with Co- Tyson's dad, Corey Philpot, who himself, mm-hmm. and we learned this, th- this incredible fact, Corey Philpot, in his second year in the league, won the Grey Cup with the BC Lions, wearing number six. Tyson Philpot wears number six. This is his second year in the Canadian yeah. Football League, and he won the Grey Cup. I mean, you, you couldn't write a better script than that. Like like father, like son. And you can see the look on, on, on Corey's face. Like just relief, joy, mm-hmm. uh, ecstasy. Like, I mean, he was just... So incredibly happy for his son, and even seeing his uh, twin brother Jalen, and you know, I said that'll be you too one day. Don't you worry, like that. Like you can't hide talent, and both both those Philpot boys are talented without question. This just happened to be Tyson's year, and get give him all the credit, man. He he did the thing, like and post game, Cody Fajardo was named most valuable player. 
Tyson Philpott, most outstanding or most valuable Canadian. Couldn't have, couldn't have asked for better as far as I'm concerned. Talk about that that connection that's been happening throughout the year. And for, for it to come at the most opportune time in the biggest game of both of these guys' lives, wow, outstanding. I mean, I thought Lowell Ugalak could have made a case for most outstanding Canadian with the way he was playing, but once that Philpott touchdown happened, like, okay, it, it's pretty obvious. It was going to be Cody Fajardo as most most valuable player and uh, Tyson Philpott as most valuable Canadian. And kudos to both of them. They They did it. They sure as hell did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I just, again, as I said, euphoria, then uh, just the, you know, getting back to Montreal and then it's a high. I hope the city does not go down. It does not come down from down from from a little bit because it's still a lot more to go on. And we had the we had the parade today, our first since 2013. It's the first championship in the city of Montreal since then. By the mm-hmm. way, any sport. Um, well, actually, no. The no, not U sport. Correction, correction. Less U sport. Um, I was also thinking to where they can have with the. Ladies hockey as well. Uh, Les Le Canadiennes, I think, also won a championship. Mm. Oh, the oh yeah, yeah, whatever the league was called. Yeah, I know it's changed leagues, but yeah. Um, and I don't want to take away from that, but I mean, fair, when people fair, think about fair, fair. When, when people think about championships, like you know, they, they think about the big ones, like the Grey Cups, the the Stanley Cups, uh, World Series, if the Expos were still around, and so on. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. So this M- was a ML- chance. MLS Cup. MLS Cup is a pretty big one too for uh, for uh, uh, CF Montreal. So exactly. So yeah. I mean, Montreal Canadiens were in the Stanley Cup final two years ago. Didn't get the job done, and that would have been an incredible party that would probably still be celebrated today. Even like that's just how incredible of a thing it is. I mean, like the Canadian drought is very similar to like what the bombers have gone through and what the Hamilton tiger cats are going through. Like for those, you know, like decades long droughts be- between championships and Montreal True. was technically did have the second longest drought for Grey cup at 13 years. And they got that snapped. And that has to be a tremendous weight off because I, I had been thinking about this, Tim, and I'll probably expand on this too during our year end show, like the impact of this championship. I think about some like between 2010 and 2013 or 2023, sorry. This team has seen a lot of shit. It really has. I mean, it has gone through so much uh, ownership changes, head coach, GMs, thousands upon thousands of players changing. Uh, and just the way this organization was run, that was suspect at Mul- best multitude of quarterbacks the, the exactly the, the quarterback clown car as we like to call it uh so, some of the, the very very questionable decisions made by upper management and such and this team went through some really really tough times and a lot of fans they couldn't handle it they you know because winning's fun losing sucks and this team was doing a lot more losing than winning and a lot of the, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people just abandoned ship. They they just said, okay, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be associated with this loser franchise. 
but this team has truly gotten itself together. It wasn't pretty. And, and even this year, and we, yes, we will talk about this more in detail, but this team really was so disrespected from, from the start of this 2023 year. And the disrespect continued truly all the way up to Grey Cup Sunday. And they fought through it. They battled past it. And look what they came out with. They came out the other end smelling like a rose, winning the Grey Cup championship, and just silencing all the doubters, all the haters, everybody. So many people are eating crow now because of this Alouettes team. And you love to see it. It, it, it is so validating to see this win not just for the, the, the players and the coaches and everyone who's involved with this team. I'm beyond happy for them to be able to have this championship and to prove that they are a championship. They are a top-tier team. They are who they say they are. And they're not who the other people say they are. To me, that that is so rewarding, so validating. I, I couldn't be prouder of this franchise. And you, know, you and I, we, we've seen this team through thick and thin I, i'd say we, we, were, we were there for the good times and we were there through the bad times it it helped make this team what they what it is today and i hope that everybody who's at the parade today knows this realizes and understands this that it's not going to last forever the, these good times you have to appreciate them you have to appreciate the struggle you have to appreciate going through the mud to get to where you are today to to, to stand tall and I he, hear so many fans at the parade today just cheering loudly every time a player was introduced, every time the coaches were introduced, every time Danny Machocha, Mark Waitman, Pierre Carl Pelado, once these people were brought up on stage, a loud cheer because they know that these these were the architects. These were the ones who helped put this team together. And Jason yeah, Moss. I did say Jason Moss, but yeah. Reiterating. <laughs> Without question. I mean, like... This team has so many great leaders at the helm and they've done such a fantastic job despite everything else that was going on, despite all the noise, despite everything that had gone about with this team in 2023 alone, never mind getting to 2023 to get, to be at this point today is like, I, I can't begin to express how proud I am of this organization and how proud I am to support this organization. And like, I don't, like I said, I I've evolved as far as fandom goes. Like I'm not that crazy fan that's going to paint my face and you know, you know, do stupid stuff or anything like that just to get on TV or any of that stuff. Like that to me, like if if you're a fan like that, then that and that works for you, great. I I again, I very much want to support this team. I have been supporting this team for several years now. I will continue to support this team through thick and thin because that's to me that's how you're supposed to do it. So to see this moment, to see this championship team as we saw them today, as we saw them on Grey Cup Sunday, as we saw them last week even, and everything leading up to this, it fills me with such pride and joy to be able to say that, yes, this team, warts and all, through everything that they've gone through, are Grey Cup champions. They did it when nobody, nobody thought they could do it. And that is so... I can't begin to put it into words how satisfying that must feel, how amazing that's got to be, like what a boost that's got to be to the confidence of everybody that's involved in this organization. It, it it truly is amazing. Like this this season, Tim, 
I don't think you and I are going to forget it. Like from start oh. to finish, like from January, 2023 to November, 2023. I don't think we're going to forget a single moment of this for a long, no. long time. And I'm, and it's funny, I, I'm not trying to, trying to, to, to push this season away, but it, it'll be just more of an, uh, of a bookend to the story, to the story itself. Cliff is, uh, give or take two, two and a half, three weeks. We're going to find out when the Alouette's home opener is and where they get, where they raise that banner. That will be the bookend of this 2023 season. And I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, it's going to be very emotional to see that banner be unfurled, knowing what this team had to go through to be able to have that opportunity to unfurl that banner. And like when you when you look at like, even, even just something simple like championship gear, like like seeing hats and T-shirts and all that stuff with 2023 Grey Cup champion Montreal Alouettes, that's amazing. And something that nobody could have truly foreseen coming. And it's so great. It's got to feel so good to be able to have that and own that and know that, yes, they did win the Grey Cup. And you're right, next year, next June or late May or June or whatever it is, they're going to have the home opener. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to see that banner going up with the the seven other Grey Cup banners that are there at Personal Muscle Stadium. Now they have to make room for an eighth. And my God, that's, that's so good. That's the good stuff right there, knowing that. And I can't wait to see it. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. Um. I think it's the best. That's the best way to bookend uh, this episode, buddy. We appreciate everybody for sticking with us. I mean, it's very rare that we have a long form where we don't have an interview, but this was well worth it, considering what what this team has gone through and just the stories alone from from this past Grey Cup week and now your CFL twenty twenty three Grey Cup one hundred one champions, the Montreal Alouettes. Hmm. One ten. Not 101. What did I say? What I said say 101. 110. Yeah. <laughs> 110. <laughs> the only people knew what time it was. Uh oh, <laughs> is bad, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 110. 110. So. I, 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 can't, I can't even blame that on you. You had too much too much partying going on at Grey Cup because you were very well, you were very reasonable in your I was, yeah, I was very uh, well behaved. <laughs> in your alcohol consumption, you were very reasonable. So yeah. <laughs> I can't even blame it on that. That was quite that was quite happy. So we we appreciate everybody who has listened to us. We're not done yet. We're not done nope. yet. We still got our yearly state of the team interview with Alouette's president, Mark Waitman, coming up. So stay tuned for that one. You know, that's going to be that's good. A, and that's always and, a good episode. That's always a good episode. And, and, and um, truthfully, I'm, I'm not ready to call this a season just yet. I still think we've got a little bit more to talk about. So, Folks, if you're not already subscribed, make sure you do so. However it is you want you 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 consume your podcasts or make sure you're subscribed and like to our YouTube channel as well. Make sure you're following us on social media. Be prepared for when we go go get back at this again because yeah, I mean, technically the season's over. Doesn't mean our season's over. I I still think we've got some more stories to tell. Uh, not just with Mark Waitman, but media never uh, sleeps, buddy. Media it's never true. Sleeps. That's true. There's always there's always something to talk about, and I'm not ready to call this a season just yet. Yes, we we just did watch the Alouettes win the Grey Cup, and that's amazing. And there's still more to talk about, as far as I'm concerned. So, folks, 
if you again stay tuned make sure you like you're subscribed to however you take in the always flight deck podcast because we're not done yet folks we're not done yet no we're not so we'll talk to you guys very shortly make sure you stay up, up to date on all of our socials when we have something new so uh, again congratulations to the montreal Owets as they are now an eight-time Grey Cup champion. So for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Take Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.